Michael Henderson. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming all the way over here to Full Shear uh, oh. for this interview. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thanks for it having me. It took you, what, like an hour and... It took about an hour and 40 minutes, yeah. Where do you live? In Kingwood. Kingwood. Oh, okay. So yeah. what parish do you go to? St. Martha's. St. Martha's. So uh, Father TJ. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had him on the show. We love Father TJ. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool, cool. He, he, awesome, awesome guy. Now, I understand you're a missionary? Yes, sir. Full-time missionary. Yeah. That's awesome. It is. Praise God. It's you awesome. and your wife. Yes, our whole family, yeah. Your whole family? Yes, sir. And your whole family meaning who? My bride and our nine kids. Nine kids? <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. We're going to unpack all of that. So did you grow up Catholic? I didn't. No, actually, um, I grew up in kind of wherever my parents liked the preaching when we moved around a lot when I was real young. But as far as I can remember, about the time I was eight, we we've lived in Kingwood since then, and we were going to uh, Baptist Church. Baptist Church, up. okay. Yeah. And your family's historically Baptist. No, actually, both my parents grew up Catholic. Okay. Um, when I was born as an infant, I believe I was. I, I mean, I don't believe I was baptized Catholic. Okay. And shortly after that, I'm the youngest of five. Okay. And shortly after that, they stopped going uh, to the Catholic Church, and we're just going. Just wherever that, yeah, wherever they like the preaching, I guess. Did they say why? Honestly, I've never really dug into it to him too much. It was more of like my dad traveled all the time. He worked offshore, um, worked on the rig doing oil, and they moved every year or two or three when I was real young. Uh -huh. And uh, and I guess that the, their faith just wasn't their priority at that time. You know, dad was rocking and rolling in the business, and uh -huh. mom was at home with us. Um, but... I just assumed that they weren't really seeking the Lord at that time, like, you know, in that way, you know, I mean, they were doing Bible studies and when I was growing up, I always had, you know, little Bible verses in my lunchbox. And, oh, that's nice. Yeah. I mean, the, the home was just incredible. The love and my parents and their marriage that I got to witness growing up was phenomenal. So um, you went to Sunday school and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I remember like, it was a priority for sure to go to church. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was. It just, it just wasn't. We didn't go to the Catholic Church. No. Did you always think you'd be a missionary? Never. No. What no. did you want to be when you grew up? <laughs> um, man, well, I, I, when I was in high school, I assumed I would be an architect, just okay. because I was ahead in math and science and whatnot. Um, then I got into automotive, and I went to an automotive school, and then I, I opened an automotive shop, and that was amazing. But never on my, I'd never been on a mission trip until I became a full-time missionary. <laughs> so how did you go from, you know, opening up an auto shop to becoming a missionary? Did this, did this happen before or after you got married? Uh, well, so we became missionaries much like into our marriage, like years into okay. our marriage. We were actually about to have our sixth child. Oh, okay. Um, when we felt called to missions, I had been Catholic. We, like I, I converted to Catholicism before I met my bride. Okay, how so, did that happen? Um, well, that's a beautiful story because God is so good. Um, he never stops chasing us, you know. I uh, let's see. Like I said, I grew up in an awesome family, and around uh -huh. the time I was like eight or nine. Um, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know, I was saved. Everything I knew that uh -huh. was awesome was because of Jesus. Yes. And um, when I was nine, my mom started to work for the first time in my life. Like I said, she had always been home with us kids, and I'm the youngest of five. 
Well, around that time, my dad was retiring from the oil and from the oil industry, and they were going to switch careers and start doing real estate. Okay. And so my mom started working, and then my dad finished up whatever job he was at and then mm-hmm. started working with her. So now instead of getting up and mom packing me a lunch and taking me to school and me coming home from school and discussing my day with my mom, it was like I would wake up and there'd be two bucks on the counter for lunch. Oh. And then I'd ride my bike to school. And yeah. then after school, I would uh, ride my bike home. And then it quickly became, I realized I didn't have to ride my bike home. I could just hang out with all the other kids who didn't have to go home. Uh-huh. And uh, I started seeing a whole different side of the world at an age that I definitely wasn't ready to see it. You know, if... How old was that? Yeah, like 9, 10. 9, 10, and you started to get into... Started to get into, like, if, if you know, things like we would go up to the little local grocery store, and if my friends wanted candy, they'd go in and steal it. Uh, and I'm like, what in the world? Like, that was nuts to me. But uh-huh. then I see, like, they all have candy. <laughs> They're not getting in trouble for this. And, like, and you don't have and candy. And I don't have candy, you know? And if they wanted to go out, you know, uh, they would lie to their parents and go do something they weren't supposed to do. And I, and I, I, don't, I just grew up in this way that, like, we didn't lie to our parents, dude. Like, you don't, you know, and, and you don't steal. And, and they weren't getting caught. And they weren't getting caught. Uh-huh. And uh, they were getting to do whatever they wanted to do and whatnot, seemingly happy about it or whatever. And so after years of that, I mean, I just just got involved in everything. And uh, by the time I was 13 or 14, I was living completely different lives. I was lying to my parents. I was deceiving people. If I was at church, I would act one way. If I was with my friends, I acted another way. Oh. If I was with my parents, I acted another way. And Wow. And I, and uh and it's not like I ever stopped believing in God. I just, I just, like I even would say, like, I'm just having fun right now, you yeah, know? And, yeah. and I, I, um, yeah, I'd gotten to the point that I was smoking, I was doing drugs. I was like, really? Yeah. Like at 14, um, I went to my mom and asked her like, you know, why do people smoke pot? Uh-huh. And, uh, she grabbed my hand and like smelled my hand. And I was like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, well, if people smoke, their hand smells. Uh-huh. And, like, that was the answer that I got. Well, I really wanted to know why people smoke pot. So <laughs> the next day when I went into school and everybody was in the woods smoking pot, I went over there and tried it with them, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, so around that time, uh, I went to my little, the youth, like the pre-big church church there at the Baptist church. Okay. And um, the youth pastor was teaching, like, once you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven. Uh-huh. And I raised my hand, you know, I'm a little punk. I'm like 14 years old. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's, and, and I said, I did that when I was nine. And he's uh-huh. like, congratulations, brother. And I said, I'm breaking every commandment possible right now. Like uh-huh. how on earth would I go to heaven? <laughs> and he's like, and he told me, then you weren't really saved in the first place. I got so angry okay. because I know, I, I meant everything I said when I was nine years old. I gave everything to the Lord. I love the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like, and I and I, and according to what it means to be saved, I was saved. Like I accepted, like I gave everything to the Lord. Uh-huh. And then a lot of stuff in my life changed and uh-huh. I encountered a lot of evil and I started to live a different way. I was choosing a different way and ignoring the Lord. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean I didn't mean what happened when I was nine. Yeah. And so I started this journey of trying to prove him wrong. I started reading scripture, just devouring the Bible, man, front to back. Um, and then I started going to a bunch of different churches asking these questions that I had. 
and it was different a pro- denominations. Yeah, I was going to. The, I went to the Methodist Church. I went to the Church of Christ. I went to just all the churches there in Kingwood. Really, I even uh-huh. went to the Mormon Church and uh, left pretty quick. The day I went, the youth pastor happened to punch one of the kids, and it was kind of chaos. Oh boy! <laughs> I went to the at one point in there. I went to the Catholic Church, and I left because I had no idea what was going on. You know, they were like standing up, sitting down, <laughs> kneeling, and I was like, dude, I'm lost and. I heard I just, I just left. Yeah, refer to as calisthenics. While yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but on this mission, I, I, there were some things that Jesus said in Scripture that were really standing out to me. And when I would go to these churches, I would ask um, either the pastors, or youth pastors, or whoever was available, and they would tell me what Jesus really meant, and that really bothered me. And like, not only because who are you to tell me what Jesus really meant, but also all of your answers are different. Uh-huh. So whose answer is right? Yeah. And uh, the two that come to mind right now that were real big for me was like Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, you know, I, and I'm struggling with this idea of like, once you, once you, you know, John three sixteen, like those who, um, you know, know Jesus, like, what is it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever mm-hmm. believes in him will inherit eternal life. And it's like, well, Number one, scripture says the demons believe in him and they shudder. And then yep. John twenty or Matthew twenty five, Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, and he tells these guys over here, he's like, "You guys are going to heaven, because whenever I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I yeah. was when I was alone, you visited. All this stuff." Yeah. And they're like, "Lord, when did we do that for you?" You know, they know him, and they're like, "And he tells them, what you did for the least of mine, you did for me.'" Now then he looks at the goats. He looks at the guys on his left, and he's like, "Yeah, and you guys are going to hell." Uh-huh. You didn't feed me when I was hungry. You didn't give me any names, all the same things. And they say, Lord, when did we not do that for you? Again, they knew him. Yeah. They weren't saying, who are you to tell me I'm going to? They knew him. They called him Lord. Yeah. But they didn't obey him. They didn't abide in him. Like he says all throughout scripture, you know, abide in me and I'll abide in you. If you know me, you know my father, all this. Mm-hmm. And I would just get these different answers. And, and then John chapter six, just rocked my world because Jesus sits here and he feeds like 5,000 men. So uh-huh. who knows how many women and children, you yeah. know, you got 20,000 something people following him. He feeds them all. They're all like, this dude's amazing. He goes across the water. They chase him all the way around the water. They come <laughs> to him. I mean, they're literally eating out of the palm of his hand. And he tells us like, my role is to bring everyone who comes to me to the father. And then he says, so you must eat my body and drink my blood uh-huh. or you have no life in you. And, yeah. and this is a bunch of Jews. And they're like, what is this dude talking about? <laughs> like, we don't even drink the blood of the animals, you know, yeah. all this. Yeah. And there's other times in scripture where Jesus spoke of food figuratively or representing something else. And he, he clarified it when they misunderstood him, you know, yeah. like, like by the well, he speaks of, you know, like, dude, we should get him some food. He just came back from the desert. He must be hungry. And he's like, no, I ate. And they're like, well, who fed him? What what did he eat? And he corrects them. He's like, no, no, I'm talking about like, you know, the will of my father, you know? And in this case, they're all like, this dude's crazy. He wants us to eat his body and drink his blood. And so then he doubles down and like reiterates it. and, and And in the language that he used, he said, you must gnaw on my flesh. Like, Mm -hmm. Like you must eat my body and drink my blood. So then, they're, then they're, they're like, we're we're out of here. Like, so you were you reading all of this? I'm reading all of this, and I'm saying like, if he has if he has twenty thousand people coming to him, and uh-huh. he says his role is to bring them to the Father, and now they're leaving, why doesn't he stop them? Yeah, they're not only does he not stop them, but he says it again. So 
three times. Yeah, he doubles down. He yeah. du- again, and and so now they're leaving. All these people uh-huh. are leaving. He would have clarified it if he meant something different. Yep. And then he even turns to his disciples and he says, are you going to go too? Uh-huh. And to me, it's like, this is so important yeah. that the people that he was training to pass on his teachings, they could leave if they didn't believe this. Yes. It would be more, it would be better to not have a church than to have a church without this. Yeah. And so I would, and nobody could tell me what he meant. And so you so, asked around. Oh yeah. I, I mean, that's what I'm, that's like, I would go to this church. I would talk to that youth pastor. I would go to this church, talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a representation. He means that like you want to, you know, mm-hmm. whatnot, all these different explanations of what they think he really meant because it didn't make sense to them. And for me, it's not that it doesn't make sense to me. It's that if Jesus says something, if God says something, it happens. Like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't shock me if he says you'd eat my body and drink my blood. It's just like, okay, well, what it, well how do we do that is mm-hmm. my question. And so through this, I, I went back to the Catholic church, but this time I had a book with me, like an order of the mass. Okay. So I could actually follow along. So you knew what was happening. So now I knew what was happening. <laughs> and not only did I know what was happening, but I could under, I could see the prayers and I could hear the scripture mm. and it was blowing my mind. Because it was like everything that I had been taught about the Catholic Church was wrong. What what were you taught about the Catholic Church? I was taught that Catholics don't believe in the Bible. Okay. And here we are reading straight from the Bible, more <laughs> than I hear in most of these other churches I was going to. Okay. Like I would go to these other churches and I would somebody might read a little bit of the Bible to kind of start their talk. And then they give this really cool motivational speech and they quote a little bit of scripture throughout it. And that was like the church services I was seeing. And here they're just reading scripture after scripture after scripture. And I was told that Catholics worship Mary. Uh I came to understand how horribly wrong that is after this moment, like not right away, because I'll finish telling you about this time at the church, then how I came to seek more into the the teachings. But um, I'm, I'm following through mass and it's just rocking. Like I'm just, I understand the prayers are phenomenal. I'm hearing what they're saying and just, and I'm in the very back of the church. So, Uh so praise God when they did the liturgy of the Eucharist, I didn't go up. Um, I didn't know what was going on with that. I didn't understand it. So I I stayed in my seat. Mm -hmm. And then after mass, I went outside and I don't know if it was a priest or a deacon that I talked to, but I gave him that whole like John chapter six spiel. And, uh, he just goes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, you know, can you, uh, like, (laughs) so you had no idea of the concept of the Eucharist and all of it. Okay. Not at this point. But and so and when transubstantiation, he, all that, right? Yeah. None of, wow. And so when I when he told me that, I was like, "Can you elaborate a little bit?" Uh-huh. And he's like, "Well, that's what we just did." And I'm like, "What?" And so then I start studying into the teachings of the church, uh-huh. and that's when I realize Catholics don't worship Mary. Uh-huh. Like Catholics don't idolize and worship the saints. They don't worship statues. They don't do all these things. Like, and then that's when I started to learn what John chapter six meant, how it tied in with the last supper, how it tied in with Passover, how it tied in with the fact that this is the source and summit <laughs> of, of, uh, everything that I need, you know, and that's what led me to the church. And it was everything that I needed, um, in a really radical way, because leading up to that, I was living like these two completely different lives, like one life. Sure. I was popping into these different churches and I was studying scripture but my life didn't reflect it at all. Oh, so you were still doing oh my the bad goodness. things like on getting the side. Off the, like, 
just like what the world can offer us. You know, here, this is going to make you happy and it's going to be fun. And mm. it usually feels happy and feels fun. Uh-huh. But then the next morning it sucks and you need more. And that's the path I was on. I always needed more. I needed more. And I would go to these different retreats with my church and I would be bawling. Like I would experience the Lord and praise like in song and in community. You uh-huh. know, like he says, like where there's two or more in my name, like I am present. And I would experience them, man. And and when we would serve the poor, just like it said in Matthew 25, like what you do for the least of mine, you do for me. Like I experienced him in the poor um, and I experienced him in his word. You know, I would read scripture and it would just, he, he has always spoken to me through scripture uh-huh. and it wasn't enough for me. I would lay there, I would sit there in tears at these retreats and give my life to him and be like, dude, like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't uh-huh. want to lie to people. I don't want to do drugs. I don't yeah. want to live this life. And I would leave that retreat fired up. Like, like I've given my life to the Lord again, whatever. And, mm-hmm. and sometimes it lasted a week. Sometimes it lasted a couple months, but I was just too weak. I always fell right back in with the same crowd. And each time I did, it was worse because oh. it was like, I'm discovering more and more how weak I am, uh-huh. uh, how I don't have control over this. It's not my choice. I'm actually addicted to this stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so when I found the Catholic church at first, it was very intellectual and it took me a couple years to like really have that conversion to come to Catholicism. Um, because like I said, when I entered into the church at that time, it was kind of like a it was like a crash course coming into the church because okay. when I went to meet with the priest who was there at that time, um, I don't, I don't remember who, which priest it was, but that's not important. Um, I, I went in and RCIA was almost over and they were about oh. to do like confirmations and yeah. all this. Well, when I met with him privately, he was like, dude, you know more than you could teach RCIA. Like, you know more than, you know, because of how much I had been studying. I've been reading the early church fathers. You know, I've been reading these writings from people from 70 AD. Like they're walking with the disciples and they're talking about the body and blood of Christ. I mean, Uh they're talking about how you don't gather and eat and get drunk. Like like if you, if you eat and drink unworthily, like, here at these gatherings at the mass, like uh-huh. you're sinning against the body and blood of Christ. I mean, Paul says it in Corinthians. Like, so it was so real to me. I knew the truth. So how long was this whole process of you, you know, going through the whole search, trying out the different churches before you actually settled on, this is where I want to be at the Catholic church. How long was that? Probably about four or five years. Wow. Yeah. That That's a journey, huh? <clears throat> yeah. And even at that time, that's about where we're at right now, but that still wasn't what I call my conversion. That really? was like an, the intellectually I found the truth. Okay. And like I said, that priest was like, look, you were baptized as an infant Catholic. You know plenty, like you can come into the church at this same, at this time. That was about uh-huh. to happen. Yeah. So it was like, I went in, I, I received up my sacraments real fast um, and entered the church. And at that time, it was all so fast. I had no foundation, no true understanding of the sacraments. Um, and and I, I was at this time of like, well, what does a Catholic look like? You know, what do I wear? What music do I, you know what I mean? Uh-huh, like, like uh-huh. what, like, and it was this, this, like I said, totally intellectual entering. And then I went back to my friends and I had no foundation, no strength. And I just completely 
could not not live as I was. Like I just fell right back in. I never left it. Like I never left the partying and everything. Like those two lives hadn't hadn't intersected on truth yet. Like Uh in reality. So at that point, I knew what was true. Now I couldn't make these excuses about Christians being whatever Mm -hmm. and like. Uh, I knew the truth, but I was just too weak to actually follow it. So at that point, I could just never be sober. Like it got really bad. Oh wow! Um, yeah, like I, if I was sober, I just knew I was an idiot. And so I started getting into more drugs and harder drugs and whatever. And then one day, I'm sitting here. I'm staying in an apartment with some girl. Um, I got this table in front of me with drugs on it. Like what I'm gonna sell and what I'm gonna keep. And I sit back and. I look up and I'm like, what am I doing? And I feel like the Lord just goes, I don't know. Like just <laughs> screamed at me so much that it uh-huh. literally lifted me up off the couch. Uh-huh. Like I got in my car and I went straight to St. Martha's and there was a different priest there now. Uh, Father Borsky was there. Okay. And he was the priest. I mean, I've never been to any, that's, that's always been my home parish, right? Uh-huh. So I go up, it's super early in the morning and I, and I come up to the church and I find the the maintenance guy and I'm like, where's a priest? I need a priest. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh my God, like, did you kill somebody? <laughs> like, he's like, what is going on? Uh-huh. And uh, he brings me into Father Borsky's office and I have what I consider my first confession. I lay it out. Like I lay everything out. Wow. And um, when Father says, I absolve you from your sins, go in peace. Like I felt like I floated out of his office and floated across the parking lot. They had they had an adoration chapel there with uh-huh. 24 hour perpetual adoration uh-huh. of the blessed of the blessed sacrament. I went into that chapel, the only one in there. I went up and I just like laid down in front of the Eucharist and was just telling the Lord like for the first time in my life like I've I've tried everything on my own. Uh-huh. I can do nothing without you. Like I am worthless without you. And uh, I meant it. And shortly after that, Father Borsky and a couple of guys came in and I didn't know what was going on. So I got up off the floor and got <laughs> in my chair and they started setting up for mass. And I had never heard of daily mass. It was like a Tuesday morning. Oh. And uh, they start setting up for mass. And so I go to mass and I receive the Eucharist. Okay. And I got high. Every cell on my body got filled with the Holy Spirit in a way that I had never known. And I was... In that moment, I was healed from all my addiction. The drugs I was on, like uh-huh. scientifically, I should have weaned off of these things or I would have gone through all kinds of which whatever. Yeah. Nothing. Really? Done. Oh, done. I, I haven't even cursed since then. My wife has never heard me curse. <laughs> like, wow. And I used to be in the Navy for a minute. Like, I mean, I could, <laughs> you know, I was, but it, the, the things that the Lord healed me in that moment, it literally like he drug me out of the pits of hell. Like it wow. was nuts. And... Before I left, I don't remember exactly how, but I came across a rosary and for seven months I went to mass every day and I received the Eucharist and I prayed a rosary and I asked Our Lady, I didn't really know much about her or much about the rosary, Uh but I just said, Mary, mother of God, if you can just reveal to me my sins before I commit them Uh and then pray that I have the strength to avoid them. And she would. Like there were times that I would be walking through the shop and somebody would yell something at me and I would like turn to make my little smart aleck comment back to them, but uh-huh. no words would come out of my mouth. And I would have a minute to realize what I was about to say. Uh-huh. And then I had the choice to still sin and say it. And sometimes I did, or to have the strength 
to not do it. And she started doing that for me in ways because I thought at that, like in that first confession, I thought, man, if I could just quit doing drugs and lying to people, like, man, I'll be a saint, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> It was like that's how low the was bar like, was. <laughs> exactly, okay. you know. I thought. I mean, and and the Lord healed me of all that immediately, and just started revealing to me my sins uh-huh. and me realizing, like, oh my goodness, like, and uh, yeah, and and so, like I said, for seven months, every day I received the Eucharist, and for the first time in my life, no more was it like, what's next? Mm. For the first time, as far as everything I was seeking for that pleasure, the happiness, the fulfillment, uh huh. No, the Eucharist gave me indescribable peace and real joy that I just, that's all I needed. At what, at what point did you realize that, hey, this is not like the way it was before when I'd go to retreat? The moment I, I received it. Really? Really. That daily mass? That daily mass. Wow. That morning. It rocked me, bro. Like, and I knew. And, and, and now later I see that it's the fulfillment of God's grace and love and presence. He tells us in scripture, like I said, how I would experience him at those other retreats. Yes. He tells us you can experience me in community, Uh three or more in the poor, like in Matthew 25, Mm -hmm. in the word Mm -hmm. and in in the Eucharist. Uh So I was just too weak receiving him in those three ways outside of the church. Uh Once I received him in the Eucharist, uh, that was it, man. Wow. That was it. Wow. So at that point, when you received the Eucharist, you knew intellectually what it was because mm-hmm. you had done all that studying. Yeah, yeah. But then when you when you actually received it, that was it. Yeah, because I hadn't been going to Mass because I, you know, I, I got kind of rushed into the church and I knew that I wasn't, you yeah. know, and so I hadn't been going to Mass for I don't even know how long. And so that day, everything was real. I knew everything. And, uh-huh. it, and what it was is... It was my complete surrender. It was, again, scripture coming alive. Like where we're weak, he is strong, right? Like they, uh, these little Bible verses look good to like put on the front of your journal or whatever. But like uh-huh. when you really experience it and really live as God asks us to live, you see his truth and, and his reality come. And, and it was in my weakness. It wasn't that I had set these goals and I had found the truth and look at what I did. It was like, uh-huh. I know all of the truth. You know, I, I, not all the truth, but you know what I'm saying? Like I, I discovered the church. Yes. I did these things, but yet I'm still too weak. Mm-hmm. I still can't do it. And yeah. so it took like this complete surrender and this complete weakness. And then the Lord was like, bam, and just like <laughs> rocked me with this beauty of his body and blood. So when this happened, what about all the friends that you had had? The Gone, people who done. were, what did they, did you just completely cut them off? Did, I had to completely. Did, did they say anything to you? Like what's happening to you, dude? Or, you know, what's I wouldn't, going? I wouldn't communicate really, but yeah, like, like I ran into people at a restaurant here or there or whatever. Uh-huh. And, uh, I would just be like, man, I'm straight edge, bro. Like, like I'm, I'm done. You're done. You know, I, you know, I, I got out of that apartment situation I was in. I moved back in with my parents. Uh-huh. I worked, I went to school, that, that automotive technology school. Uh-huh. And uh, about seven months, like I said, that seven months, eight months, I started teaching a Bible study for the church, for high school. Nice. And uh, I was doing it at my parents' house, and it was just phenomenal. Like, we had this crew that was just unbelievable, because, of course, I could completely relate with (laughs) I was only, like, two years older (laughs) than most of the—two or three years older than most of the people that were coming to the Bible study and— 
you know, all the party and all the everything that they were getting tempted with and all that. Like I, I you know, you were in, I was just in the midst of all of it. So the Lord could use me, um, in just pretty radical ways. What did your parents say when you, you know, we're going to move back in with them? Oh, they were like, come on, man. Let's like, come on. <laughs> like, so they had seen how bad oh, it had gotten. Yeah. Yeah. My parents never stopped praying for me, man. They, they, yeah. So when we came, when I came into the church in that like crash course way, my brother Greg did with me. Uh-huh. Um, and then sometime in there, I don't remember when my parents came back to the church. Oh, okay. and my sister, once she saw what the Lord was doing in my life and like some, like, I don't know all the timeline of, but my sister came to the church. Uh-huh. Like, so they were all back in the Catholic church as well. So it's the three of you, you and your sis- sister and brother. Yeah. And then I have two older brothers, two older brothers. as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, when I moved back in with my parents, they're like, great, you know, praise God. <laughs> like, <laughs> did, they, did they sort of give up on you at that? that point or did they just say he'll come back when he comes back yeah i mean so there's a there's two ways to look at that um i don't think anyone in my family like gave up on me as far as um not praying for me or hoping or mm-hmm. whatnot but my brother greg is the one person who never gave up on me as far as like action okay like that dude would come to my apartment and I would have like people passed out all over the place, bottles of liquor out, like a bong on the table. Uh-huh. And he would come and just just hang out with me. Like didn't matter if I just wanted to go and swim in the pool or play some stupid video game, uh-huh. like he would do it with me. And he was, I didn't find out until just a few years ago that he was fasting for me and praying for me for like a year and a half. Wow. I mean, this dude, and, and one day he, cause he knew when I got out of high school, I had these ideas of going to like NYU and doing architecture and uh-huh, whatnot. Uh-huh. And uh, I didn't have the help to do that, you know, and, and I wasn't ready, but I thought I was. But my dad was like, no, dude, go to this little community college, prove yourself, and then we'll mm-hmm. see. And I just was like, dude, forget that. Community college, I just partied, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so it was probably really smart on my dad's part. But one day, the point of me is bringing that up is one day my brother Greg even came in with like a handful of cash. And try to give it to me to like move to New York. Wow. Because he, he's like, you have to get out of here, dude. Like, yeah. And uh, just get he, yourself out of this situation. Yeah. I mean, he, my, my brother's, he, he's three years older than me, but he just has this awesome respect for me and this love for me. That's like mind blowing. And he, uh, he never gave up on me. I don't think anyone in my family gave up on me, but like they tried I was a punk. I ignored him. I was rude. And they were like, all right, whatever. And uh-huh. I'm sure they were praying for me and they were hoping for me, but they weren't like actively pursuing yeah. me, you know? Cause at some point they had to just wait for you to come around. Yeah. Like I remember my, my, my other, one of my other brothers and my sister came to that apartment once and uh-huh. like, I had literally just stopped smoking some stuff, got up to answer the door and it was them. Uh-huh. And I was just like, Oh, and I, you know, I'm sure my eyes were all glazed, whatever. And they came in and tried to talk to me, but I was just dumb and whatever, and they left. And I think that was probably for them like the last straw. Uh-huh. Like, okay, we this dude's got to figure it out himself. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like yeah. I don't know, but but like even then, when I any time that I've turned to any of them for help, they're always there, mm. always. There. Like I'm like when I said I grew up in this amazing home, like yeah, like sure everybody has their differences or whatever, but my my siblings have always been there for me. They I were just waiting them. for you. 
Yeah, in different ways, you know. Now, did you ever get any trouble trouble with the law? Yeah, I got I got arrested the first time when I was fourteen. Okay, and I heard uh, overheard when my dad came to pick me up. The police officer told him, like, you're lucky he's only 14. There's nothing we can do. Uh-huh. And that's, like, a really dumb thing to tell a 14-year-old. Oh. So I got arrested, like, three more times in the next two years or something like that. Okay. And, um, You know, but nothing crazy, you know. I okay. mean, I never got, like, a, I never got convicted with a felony or anything like that. Okay. But, um, yeah, just got in trouble with little, little dumb stuff. Did any of your old friends kind of come to you and say, hey, you know, I saw you turn your life around. Can you help me out? Or did that crowd just kind of stay there? Uh, yeah, that crowd stayed there. Unfortunately, a couple of them have died. Really? And uh, another one spent a lot of time in prison. Oh boy, he got out of he got out of prison years later, and I gave him a job and tried to teach him a trade. Uh huh. And he was doing pretty good. Um, then he hooked back up with the girl that he was with mm -hmm. beforehand, mm -hmm. and uh, he stole some money from me and. I didn't, I, I still didn't care. I was still trying to keep him working, but he started making all these excuse, excuses for missing work because he was getting back on meth. Oh. And uh, meth got a hold of him. Then he ended up going back to prison for like six years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I, I, you know, in there, part of that desire to get right with God when I was on those two separate paths, uh -huh. like three people really close to me died within like six months of each other. Wow. And um, and none of them were really their fault. Like one of them was driving down the street at like 11 o'clock in the morning and some drunk dude came flying out of the neighborhood and T-boned uh -huh. him and killed him. Wow. Uh, another dude uh, found out he graduated from high school and was super happy because he'd been in high school a couple of years too long. And okay. he was rushing home to tell his parents and lost control of his car and oh. flew over a ditch. Terrible. And, uh, and, it, and it just... I knew if I died, I would go to hell. Uh huh. I knew it. So that was a part of the fire under my butt to figure out what was real because I couldn't fake it. You know, I never, like I said, I never didn't believe in God, but uh -huh. it it didn't add up. So the 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 fact that I say that the church, the Catholic Church, is the pillar and foundation of truth, is one hundred percent true, and that is reality. Mm -hmm. And without that, what on earth do I have to base my life around? And when we, when I say base my life around, I mean scripture is there to tell me how to live my life. It's not there so I can live my life and find scripture that fits the way I'm living. And the difference in that is, is, is everything. You know, I'm not living my life that I think is good and comfortable and finding little happy scripture verses that confirm what I'm doing. Uh -huh. No, I'm radically trying to do what the creator of the universe tells me is the best thing for my soul and for the souls of every other person on the planet. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ought to live. And if we didn't have the church to guard and interpret that truth, we would have no idea. I mean, look, we have, what, 70, 80,000 different religions that say that they go by the Bible. Uh-huh. What like that? You know what I'm <laughs> yeah. saying? Like, the, the, yeah, we all go by the Bible, but we all interpret it. And now it's just it's magnified with what you see happening in the churches that are so outside the realm of possibility in Christianity, even 50 years ago. Uh -huh. And now you see these churches bringing this stuff in. That if the, if the if we if I didn't have the Catholic Church, I wouldn't have been able to to stop living the way I was living because I needed 
reality. I couldn't just say and pretend, you know? What part of the Catholic teaching did you have the hardest part, you know, wrapping your head around? Was it Mary, like you said earlier? No, actually not at all. Um, you know, I, it's wrapping my head around meaning believe or yes. like coming to understand? Uh, both. So honestly, when I found the church, I knew that I believe whatever it says. Okay. Because the way I came into the church, like I said, was from reading some of those early church fathers uh-huh. and reading some of these heresies that were taking place and understanding like, dude, these guys are evangelizing the entire world. So you're going into cultures where people like eat other people and they like yeah. <laughs> burn down these things. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And they build these huge monuments to these different gods. And yeah. And so you have to have the church to keep it real. Otherwise this culture is going to take what, fits the way they live. And, yeah. and that's why you had all these councils and you had, you had these different conversations, like with circumcision, like we see in scripture. And finally you had to have Peter say, no, look, like you, you had to have a hierarchy to guard and interpret this truth. Uh-huh. And that just makes sense. And, and, yes. and praise God, when I got into Catholicism, one of the first things that I started reading was like apologetics. Mm-hmm. And, and so I saw a lot of explanations of these things. And I knew I have to believe what the church believes. So believing it, I can't really think of anything that was really hard for me to believe. Okay. But to understand um, would have to be the church on our sexual, like the teachings on our sexuality and like, and like the idea of being completely open with your spouse all the time, nothing outside of that, no uh-huh. other, no, no other ways other than like what, what, God intends within our marriage and, uh-huh. and open to life and and that understanding I'm still growing in, you know. Um I've been Catholic for twenty years and uh I didn't really dig into it a lot. Like I, I heard a teaching on the theology of the body by Christopher West, like way early on when my bride and I were just getting married. Uh-huh. We were already doing natural family planning and I just knew, all right, cool, like I'll do this. Uh-huh. And so I did it out of obedience, you know, um, and, and I struggled, like we struggled with that in our marriage, but, uh-huh. but we always just, you know, we obeyed. And in, probably in the last five years, I've really started to dig into the philosophy behind it, the teaching behind it, the theology behind it. John Paul II, love and responsibility and his, and his theology of the body. Uh-huh. I mean, I think we'll be unpacking it forever, you know, <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah. but like the, the true understanding of it, I think since I've been back in the country, so we moved back from Taiwan at a time um, that really, really rocked me to see what was going on in our country when it comes to sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I've, I know that we're back here. Um, and that's one of the big reasons why. Now you you mentioned your wife. How did you guys meet? So right about that time, like eight months after I converted to Catholicism, she came home from from Texas A&M University for the summer. Okay. And one of her really good friends was still in high school, and they came to my Bible study because he had been coming to my Bible study. So she came to my Bible study for that summer, and the Lord really blessed me with these like blinders, you know, leading a Bible study for high schoolers. It's like there's there's no even though I was only a couple of years older than them there was no vision of like dating or anything like that like uh-huh. it it was just really great and so she had been coming for 
I don't know, maybe a month or so. And uh, one night after Life Teen Mass, a bunch of the other Life Teen leaders and core team, like, hey, we're all going out to eat. You want to come? And I'm like, yeah, let's go. And so I'm sitting here talking to one of the guys next to me, and she's sitting on the other side of me. And I overhear her talking about Texas A&M. And I'm like, wait, you're in college? And <laughs> she's like, yeah, <laughs> oh, you yeah. The whole time I mean, you thought college. she was in yeah, high school. I thought she was in high school. Okay. And then she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going back in whatever, you know, a month or whatever. Because she was actually doing classes at the community college over the summer. But it was like when she goes, oh, yeah, I'm in college. It's like these blinders fell off. <laughs> and she's like, oh. Like, You're around <laughs> my age, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I called her friend. Um I don't know, a couple of days later. And I'm like, hey, do you have Veronica's number? Uh-huh. And uh, our first 10 dates started and ended at the Adoration Chapel. That's awesome. So like she had just, she grew up Catholic. Her mom's from Guadalajara. And uh, she grew up just living with her mom, single mom. And um, so she grew up going to the Catholic church and she was involved in the youth group. And, and unfortunately, like a lot of youth groups, like, yeah, you all went to all the things, but on the weekends, people were still, you know, partying, whatever. It's not like they were like radically just chasing this union with Jesus, you know? Uh-huh. And um, so before her first year of college, she went on, I forget the name of the little week retreat or whatever. And she was the only Catholic there. It was all Protestants. And they were like rocking and happy and praising the Lord and uh-huh. hand, you know, just like amazing week. And she's like, these people are awesome. And she's like, why am I Catholic? Uh-huh. And instead of going and asking her friends, like she went to the St. to St. Mary's there at mm. A&M to learn more about her faith. Yeah. And there were these religious sisters there that were doing like spiritual direction and Bible studies and like, all, and the priest there was phenomenal. The whole the whole setup there at St. Mary's. I've just, heard so much oh my goodness, about it. Yeah. Praise God. It's so great. So she just falls in love with her faith. She just falls in love with the sacrament. She is on fire for Jesus in the Eucharist. Uh-huh. So when I meet her and she meets me, we're both like head over heels for the Eucharist, man. Like we're both just like chasing Jesus. Uh-huh. And so she sees Jesus in me and I see Jesus in her. And that was how we started our dates. Like we would go and spend time with Jesus in the Adoration Chapel. We'd go out come back and spend time with Jesus. And, and that's how we started our relationship. Yeah. That's awesome. And then how long till y'all get, got married? I proposed to her about nine months later. Um, if she was telling you the story, the one thing she would focus on is I broke up with her during that time. <laughs> she, like, <laughs> Why did you break up? Like, well, so I was at the point that I was just telling the Lord, like, dude, anything. Like, I will give you anything. And so uh-huh. I was kind of discerning the priesthood. Oh. And I didn't know, like, I wasn't like, what I mean by discerning is I was like, Lord, I'll be a priest if you want me to be a priest. And yeah, I was looking at yeah. seminaries and like, I was looking at possibly viewing this seminary in Colorado and, and I didn't know for sure that she was my wife. And before dating her, I had just made, I had made a lot of mistakes with girls and I had hurt a lot of girls mm-hmm. and I did not want to hurt this girl. Like, I mean, oh. It was so like we were not growing physically. We were growing spiritually. Like I was uh-huh. not going to, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you I, didn't even want I, to get close to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because I, it, I, that was behind me and I know how damaging that is. And, uh-huh. um, and so I was open to the, I'm open to the Lord, like whatever you want, you know? And I didn't know that I was supposed to marry her. And so I broke up with her and okay. then I don't know how long it was. 
I don't even know, maybe a couple of weeks, whatever. And I'm praying and, and, and the Lord's like, that's the point of dating. <laughs> like, like, you're not going to know you're supposed to, you know, it's not like you meet a girl and like, she's your wife, you know? Anyway, it was like this revelation one night of how much of an idiot I was. Uh-huh. So I borrowed my dad's car and like went to A&M, went to her dorm. Talked oh, you drove to her. all the way over oh, there. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like I had to go talk to her and um, I sat down on the couch and I, and I told her like, dude, I've been praying. Like, I'm so sorry. This is what's going on. And she was just like, oh, I know. Oh. And I'm like, what? Like, in her, she had a dream. And, like, my mom my mom was in this dream. And she's like, look, Michael's table is broken. And she talked to this religious sister. She knew that was coming back. Like, it was hilarious. The Holy wow. Spirit speaks to her in pretty marvelous ways, you know. Um, so we started dating again. And very shortly after that, I proposed to her. And uh, we got married as soon as she got her dad. When I asked her dad permission before I proposed to her, uh-huh. he was like, yeah, but I wanted to finish college first. And I was like, well, so do I. <laughs> You're paying for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to have to pay for this thing. Right? <laughs> I mean, he, this dude, her, her dad, this dude's phenomenal, man. Like, he is such an incredible loving man. And and uh, anyway, in that time, like, she was living in A&M. I was living in Kingwood. Uh-huh. And we had never even lived in like the same town together more than a couple of weeks, you know, when she was just visiting or whatever. So we weren't really planning on getting married till she, cause I was, I was working at Honda, but I was intending to open my own shop. Okay. And so right about that time, about eight months before we got married, I opened my, I quit Honda. Cause I was like, if I don't do it now and start my own business, once we get married, I'm not going to yeah. quit my job. You know what I yeah. mean? So I was like, I'll start now. And if it gets up to the time that, we're getting close to our marriage. We're getting close to our wedding. And I'm not making enough money. Then I'll go back to work yeah. at Honda or whatever. But praise God, we were making enough money like to get married. You know, maybe not in some people's eyes, but I, I had enough work for about two days a week. And we uh-huh. had a little one bedroom apartment with no TV and a bunch of hand-me-down couches. And we were wow. like, good to go. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So how, how long till y'all started having kids? Uh, we got pregnant four months after we got married. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah and then you, God, you said you, ha- how many kids do you have now? We have nine. Nine. Yeah. Wow. And what are the gaps in between the kids? Are pretty- so our first two are 15 months apart. Okay. They're super close. They've been best friends like their whole lives. It's phenomenal. Uh-huh. Uh, I had a, we have a boy first and then a girl. Uh-huh. And then we had two boys. Um, they were pretty close together as well with, with Miriam, our daughter. Um, so it was like boy, girl, boy, boy. And then there was a little bit of a pause there. Like, like for us, it was a, a big gap. I mean, I think it was like a little over two years. <laughs> <laughs> Not really that long, but yeah. Yeah. But that was the biggest gap. And, and that was because we, that was when we switched careers. There was a whole, uh, ordeal with my shop that went down. Um, okay. and, uh, which I'm happy to share about cause it's part of this amazing journey the Lord's had us on, but um, then we had five girls straight. Oh wow! <laughs> wow! So I got I got six girls and three boys. Now yeah. what what happened with your shop? So yeah, that was about eight years into having the shop, and every year we've been growing like twenty to forty percent, uh-huh. like just rocking and rolling. And 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 the Lord would ask us to do something, like we would feel Him asking us to do something, but we wouldn't have the money to do it. You know, like for instance, the uh, like having kids right away. You know, mm. people who love us and who are very advising us like you know you might want to wait a little bit veronica just graduated you know she could go get a job yeah, you got yeah. you could let your business grow but we prayed about it and we we had peace that we wanted to start our family we wanted yeah. these beautiful little kids and and so 
when she got pregnant, we could not technically, I mean, I don't know how, what it means to afford a kid, like, uh-huh. you know, but we didn't have, we weren't making very much money. But looking back, it's cool to see, we moved into our new house. Like we moved into a house from that apartment and lived there for like two weeks and then brought Michael home or maybe a month, something like that. And then brought Michael home from the hospital, our firstborn. Okay. And then as we look back, like in my business stuff, it was like, Business was about like this, and then it had this big jump in revenue right about the time Michael was born. Oh, not before we felt the <laughs> Lord inviting us to have a kid, uh-huh. but once he was born, and like this is the way he's worked with us. Like, even with Miriam, we look back, we got pregnant with her right about the time she was born. There's another jump in revenue, uh-huh. like it's just, and it was like that as the years went on. And, um, you know, in the beginning, we were we were opening the business, opening the shop at about 9 30 in the morning that way we could go to mass every morning and Uh so we were starting our days off with prayer and going to mass and bringing the kids and um and then around the time that we were pregnant with our third with kevin again i started getting advice um of just this idea of like dude you're about to have your third kid you know you you really need to have money put away you really need to have a savings you really need to start a retirement Uh um because we were just blowing and going man you know we had enough money to keep food on the table so let's uh-huh. rock and roll you know yeah. um and so i started opening my shop at 7 30 in the morning and when it wasn't able to go to daily mass mm. anymore and looking back i can see this stale time in our spiritual growth during mm-hmm. that time which has a lot to do with our ministry now and how we try to help people as they're getting married and with continued formation but um, at that time, when you're starting a family and your business is growing, when you really need the Lord the most is a lot of times when we focus on our business yeah. and we focus on our family and we yeah. don't focus on our relationship with the Lord and it and our spiritual growth just really stagnant. Um, and we start to feel like, at least I did, like I'm good. You know, like I bring my family to mass every Sunday. I'm a uh-huh. good guy. I don't cheat my customers. I don't. I don't lie to people. Like, I love my family. Like, I'm a good Catholic family, you know? Especially compared to the way you used to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in my, <laughs> in my situation. But also, unfortunately, because of advice I would get. Like, I, And this is something that breaks my heart. As like, when we stopped going to daily, I can only say this now looking back as I can reflect on this, the growth of my life and my relationship with the Lord that I'm trying to to continue every single day. It's like I would go to confession and I would say like, because we had quit going to daily mass. And so now it was like work was at 730. So that means I was out of the house early. And then when when I was growing the business, I would get home. And sometimes by the time I got the kids in bed, I would go back to work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm like, I would go to confession and be like, yeah, I feel like the Lord is really calling me to spend time with him in prayer and in his word. And I'm not doing it. I'm you not don't have listening. The time. Yeah. And man, I'll tell you what, I, I got like, you know, do you change diapers? And I'm like, yeah, I, I change diapers. You know, and do you do dishes? I'm like, yeah, I do dishes. Well, that's a, you're praying. And you know, that I understand that that yes, I can make changing diapers and doing dishes a prayer. And I try to do that all the time now. Uh-huh. But I can also do the dishes and be really pissed off saying, <laughs> why am I doing these dishes? I've been at work all day. You know, yeah. why didn't she do them? And like, that's yeah. not a prayer. You know, yeah. I could be changing diapers and be in a bad mood about it. Like, yeah. But my point is like, God was calling me. But yet 
that when I would talk to people about it, it was always like, dude, you're good. Like you're, you're doing enough. Uh-huh. And I think that that's terrible advice to ever give anybody, ever. You're not good. I promise you that Jesus is calling you to go deeper. Uh-huh. You can he, do better. Yeah. God wants you to wants you more. He loves you and he desires more out of you. Um to ever think that we're good is just nuts. And uh and so not that I'm saying that it's anybody's fault, but I'm saying that like at that time is when I stopped going to daily mass. My business was growing. My family was growing. We built a new house. Like all this stuff was happening. And so I saw this stagnant time. I, looking back, I see like that stagnant time. And um, and so what led up to me losing the shop at that point, um, The <laughs> when I started my business, my dad gave me wonderful advice. Like he, from the moment I turned 18 and started getting credit cards, he's like, cut those things up. He's like, no debt. No debt, uh-huh. no debt, no, uh-huh. you know, he was awesome about like financial stuff. And so there's two different ways to start a business. One, you take out a bunch of loans, buy everything that you need, and then you try to hit the ground running. Yeah. And then two is like, he told me to do it. He's like nickel and dime, ev- pay cash for everything, start off small Yeah. and work your way up. And that way you're never yeah. back against the wall, right? And so that's what I did. Well, I guess five years in, so almost six years in, the business was doing great. We had we had already moved from two locations to now the location we were in, and we had we had outgrown it as well. Okay. And there was a shop down the street that had been there for about three years and just couldn't really get off the ground. So I moved my shop over there with him. He sold me all of his equipment, all of his customer list, and a ten year lease in the place for like pennies, for a hundred grand. Okay. And so for the first time I borrowed money. Oh. And so I'm into this dude. Um, I mean, not into him, like we paid him, but I had this loan and two and a half years into that 10 year lease, he was into a lot of financial trouble. He had bought another business. He was losing like 10 grand a month, 10 grand a month. It was uh-huh. a trucking business. And, and he had built a building right in front of my shop. And was trying to like sell this stuff off to another mechanic shop, but he couldn't do it while I was there because I'm a mechanic shop and we have a 10 year lease, you know? Yeah. So really long, terrible story short, he did, kept doing everything he could, everything he could to get us to leave. And we wouldn't, we were being so prayerful and and bringing our family together and talking and praying, what should we do? How should we handle this? And finally he just completely lied, went to the little justice court judge dude and had us kicked out wow and so like within 30 days we went from supporting three families and like four individuals through our business like my employees their Mm -hmm. family all that to like out of business wow you know and at that time um the axe community had kind of taken off at our parish we were on like the sixth or seventh axe retreat Uh uh-huh and i had been on two through five or two through six or something like that. Uh And man, my Axe brothers came together, really helped my family out. A lot of the community at our parish, I've been teaching youth ministry, like not hired, but like doing life teen, doing youth retreats. Um, We'd been doing a lot through the parish. So we knew a lot of families and a lot of people helped us Um, because we used our money to, to make sure all the parts places were paid, all the employees were taken care of. Yeah. 
So it was like a fire sale, man. I had a truck, a hot rod, a motorcycle, all the equipment. We had to sell everything and just like, and so I went back to uh, my brother, Kevin. And when I, I was growing up doing Taekwondo, since I was eight, I'd been in Taekwondo. And, okay. and I had worked with him all like through high school. I co-opted with him. I worked with him after high school. And I went back to him and I started managing his Taekwondo school and teaching classes with him. And I did that for a couple of years. And that was like, job wise, I was like, heaven, man, that was amazing. But <laughs> having a growing family and homeschooling, uh -huh. it, was, it was just brutal because Taekwondo is at night. Yeah. So we're having our fifth child and in the mornings, my bride's trying to get school going. I'm doing what I can, but then I got to leave at like noon to two to go to work and then I get home at 10, 11 yeah. at night. That was brutal. I mean, we did that for a few years and it was a wrestle because work was amazing. I loved what I was doing, getting to work with these kids, you know, um, you really get to, f to work on forming the whole person underneath yeah. the disguise of martial arts uh -huh. and you're really just bringing Christian values and that's the way my brother runs his, his business, man. It's just beautiful. And um, so I went back to school to get my mechanical engineering degree. And uh, my bride was like, look, we can do it four years. I can handle it. Like, uh -huh. <laughs> let's do this. Uh -huh. So I was working full time, going to school full time, you know, wow. did that for about a year and a half until I got hired by an engineering firm um, and was working downtown and still going to school. And I did that for about a year and a half. And, and at that point, it was like money was great. Like for the first time, I never worked for a salary like that. I'd always been self-employed. So uh -huh. now we had like plenty of money coming in. Uh -huh. We could go on vacations. We had a 401k. We had amazing health insurance. Uh -huh. Like, And it was like, oh, like we made it. You know, it was like that feeling of yeah. like, wow, we made it. I was coaching four soccer teams, you know, my four oldest kids. I, we were doing, <laughs> we were doing speaking at Life Teen again, and we were doing marriage prep for the church. Oh, nice. Like, uh, so we were doing a lot, and I was still taking a couple engineering courses, like finishing up my degree. And um, to not jump ahead, what kind of woke me up was uh, Matthew Kelly's book, Rediscover Catholicism. So I read that book. And I was just like fired up, man. Like fired up to study. Like it was like that book made me start digging into Scott Hahn stuff, got into a little bit of Ratzinger, got into John Paul II, uh -huh. started reading some of his encyclicals and like really started getting like woken up to the depth and the beauty of Catholicism again, that it's way beyond what I can even uh -huh. fathom, you know? Like, because like I said, I, I had kind of fallen into that normal, unfortunately, what we're kind of shown is how we're supposed to live. Like go make money, support your family, have six months of savings put away, have a 401k, take your uh -huh. kids to mass, do CCE. Yeah. You're good. Right. Yeah. Well, all these teachings of these saints are like, no man, like there's so you're just scratching the surface. Like there's so <laughs> much more. So my, uh, Veronica and I start, start a uh, consecration to Mary and I'm on my way to work praying a rosary. And for the first time in my life, I hear an audible voice. I hear do more, do more. Oh, wow. Do more. Three times. While you're praying the rosary. While I'm praying the rosary on the way to work. And I'm like, 
Lord, what are you talking about? Like in my mind, I'm like, I'm coaching four soccer teams. I'm going to school. I'm working uh, yeah, full time. You, you've like, got all the boxes all checked. All these things, yeah. man, yeah. you know? And I'm like, do more. And so I go to work. I'm praying with that. I, I don't know if I told Veronica. I'm sure I told her because it rocked me because it, it was like I said, it, I heard it, you know? Uh-huh, yeah. Well, a couple of days later, uh, we get a call from our parish. Then they say at the, at the Catholic school, we're going to have a vocations day. Will you guys come and speak about the vocation of marriage? And we're looking at each other and we're like, we have 6,000 families in our parish and we homeschool our kids. Like, why would they want us to be the ones to go and talk at the Catholic school, you know? Uh-huh. So we're like, we better go. You know, the Lord wants us there. Okay. So we go and there's a young woman there who wasn't even supposed to be there. She was in town visiting some friends and she's a missionary with a group called Family Missions Company. Okay. And the family, the Applegates, were like, hey, you should go talk the vocations day about missions. So she does. And while we're getting ready to go sit in the classroom and talk to all the kids about marriage, Veronica overhears this woman talking to the deacon about missions. Okay. And Veronica like interrupts him. was like, what are you talking about? Because when she was growing up, she went on mission trips with her dad through uh-huh. the Methodist church. Okay. So... She's always had a heart for missions. I'd never been on a mission trip, but that really piqued her interest. And the idea that they were families, lay Catholic families uh-huh. doing missions. Not just single like, people. Well, right? not yeah. only that, but we thought it was like priests and religious sisters. Like, oh. I don't know, lay people do missions, you know? Uh-huh. And um, it's just a side that I, a world that I've never even considered at that point. And so after that day, on the way home, Veronica's telling me all about what she like heard from this girl. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, okay, I got to get back to work because like, I just took the morning off. So I go to work and I, and I look up Family Missions Company uh-huh. and I start reading the website and I'm like, no way, bro. This, this <laughs> can't be true. Like uh-huh. these guys are just madly in love with Jesus. They're madly in love with the church. Like they're madly in love with the word of God. Like this is crazy. So I call them. And the girl, Erica, that answers the phone starts describing to me who they are and what they do. Uh-huh. And I'm just like being filled with this peace. Like my body is just like, this is incredible. You know, like so much uh-huh. that like I didn't tell Veronica for like three days. <laughs> because, really? Yeah. Because I was like, look, I got to sit with this because this is, this is radical. Because she's telling me like, like you intermissions, we live gospel poverty. Uh-huh. Like we don't own anything. Like we get rid of everything okay. to come and serve the Lord. Like we're, we're fulfilling the great commission in a way that we feel called to do it. And there's a lot of ways to do mission work, but this is the way that we do it. Anyway, so after a few days, I talked to Veronica about it. And the reason I didn't want to talk to her, I knew she'd be like, she would love it. And yeah. of course she did. She was like, oh, this sounds awesome. Uh-huh. So we were real chill. We took like two or three months reading scripture in the evenings, praying together. We finished our... um consecration to Mary and we just we couldn't get away from it like the, I guess we would pray about it it was just peace like the two of us praying together or praying separately would just have peace and peace and peace and we knew like the Lord was leading us to this uh-huh. you know and the fact that everything at work was so good and everything in like our life was so good that it was so clear that we were running to the Lord and not running from like a bad situation, you know, mm-hmm. like if we would have been broke and it would have been down whenever we were suffering with no, like no income. Yeah. I might've felt like, 
well, dude, maybe we're just like, oh, let's go be missionaries. Yeah, yeah. You know? Like, yeah, what else do we have to do? Yeah, lose, exactly. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, man, we're really struggling. Let's get out of here, you uh-huh. know? But no, no, no. Like, finally, all the hard work we had put in career wise was paying off. Uh huh. And the Lord was inviting us to do this. And we knew what that meant. Like, it meant that I would need to quit my job. Yeah. We would need to sell our house and get rid of everything. We were pregnant with our sixth baby at the time. Oh, wow. And so we sat with it for like two or three months. And then I went and talked to Father Borsky about it. And he had a couple questions about the organization. And then he was like, Michael, I know you. Like he had, he'd been my only priest from the time I became Catholic. He uh-huh. married Veronica and I, he had baptized all of our kids up to that point. Like this dude was awesome. And he was a part of my life. And um, he's like, I know you, man. He's like, if you do this, you're probably not going to come back. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so then we started talking to our parents about it, and uh, mixed feelings in different areas with all that, you know. Of course, um, Conser- parental concern. Exactly. That's what you know. Yeah. And uh, what was cool was like Veronica's dad. He had grown up Catholic, but he wasn't. He's not Catholic at this point. He he goes to the Methodist Church, but when we talked to him about it because he has a real heart for missions. Like he's still, he's always done, as long as I've known him, he's done mission work okay. um, through his church, you know? Um, And he asked us like, is this organization Catholic? And we're like, yeah. And he goes, well, good. Cause I know how important the sacraments are to you guys. So I'm cool. Like he was cool. And, we had, awesome. and we had his only grandkids, you know, six uh-huh. of his grandkids. Oh. And he's like, cool with us wow. taking him to a third world country and go. And uh-huh. so, so yeah, that's how we like felt that that call. And then there were some things that needed to happen that we were like, okay, Lord, if this is really you calling, like we're gonna start moving, just like I said before about like financial stuff. Like yeah. we don't see how this is gonna be possible, but we're gonna start doing it. And then if you want it done, like you'll make things happen. So one of the things was Veronica's mom lived in Houston and we were her only family in the country, basically. Well, not in the country, I'm sorry, but her other son lived in California and he'd lived there for like 10 years. Yeah. He was married and, and uh, one of the things Veronica was like, man, I don't know if we can leave my mom here. You know, we're her only family here. Well, Veronica's brother just randomly calls out of the middle of nowhere and was like, Hey, we're moving to Houston. Like, wow. <laughs> he had got like in his job, he found a parallel. He wasn't even really looking for a job, but an, a parallel position came open in his, in his business and he moved to Houston. And so now, Veronica's mom had family close by and then we needed to sell our house because we had built the house a few years before. We weren't going to leave with debt, you know, and um, we were talking about that with our realtor. There was all these things we needed to do. And one day before I left the office, I had this book at the office I would read and say these prayers before I drove home. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, this is the weekend, like you need to sell your house now. And so on the way home, I called Veronica and told her and she's like, all right, whatever, like, let's, let's try to sell it called the realtor and it was my dad actually he's a realtor and he's like he's like no man it's not ready like and my like, dad we need to we need to list it like i really feel the holy spirit and he's like all right whatever so that was friday he ended up coming over on saturday and he lists it and he doesn't put pictures online he just literally just put in the posting of in the put in the listing with no pictures or anything at 2 30 on saturday at seven o'clock that night we get a phone call this couple who had been waiting for like nine months looking for houses, looking for houses, their realtor was leaving the country the next day. And since it was put on that day, they read it, asked her to come and see it. 
the moment they walked in the door, they knew it was their house. Wow. Like I had my iPod in the corner playing this praise and worship music. Uh-huh. He was the music pastor at his church. And like when he walked in, it was like his favorite song playing. I mean, it was just like, so our house sold in like five hours, you know? So everything's falling into place now. What, what happens with the, the money when you sell all this stuff? Do, do you give it to your family? Do you give it to the mission? What, what happens there? No, that's a, that's a good question. Um, for us, it was it's like two stages. Um, and this is, <laughs> the Lord is so good at showing us how he provides in ways that we could never imagine. Um, but he has to like teach me and invite us into that little by little. So first it was like, quit your job and sell your house and sell all your stuff and all this. Right. So, um, leading up to that, like we sold the house before we had ever even gone and met the people at family missions. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> how sure you were that you wanted to do well, it. No, this is what's crazy is we weren't even hundred percent sure that was it. We just knew God wanted us to serve him full time. Wow. And we didn't know if that meant one idea we had was like domestic traveling around and doing youth retreats. Okay. Um, and then the other was family missions company. So we, they had what's called come and sees where you go there for like five days. Uh huh. And that wasn't until June. Well, we sold our house before that. So we moved in with my brother. And then when we went to the come and see, um, we knew like we walked in the door and they're like praising the Lord. And they're, I mean, just, it was incredible meeting these people. And we're just like, dude, these guys are just sold out for Jesus. Like uh-huh. that is just like, yes. Well, yes to what? Whatever, whatever Jesus asked. Yes, like <laughs> seriously. And and so throughout that weekend, we really felt like this was home for us. Like this group of people, just like our hearts were just open in this way. Uh-huh. And I was sitting in adoration in the chapel there in what they call the big house. And Jesus is in there. Okay. And I'm like, Lord, I know, I really feel like you're calling Veronica and I to do this, but I'm worried about the kids. Uh-huh. And I feel like he cut me off and was like, those are my kids. Oh, he's like, I wouldn't call you and Veronica to do this if I didn't want them there with you. And I was like, all right, we're going. I told Veronica, (laughs) and she's like, sweet, we're going, you know? So we live with my brother. We had Sarah, our sixth baby girl. Okay. And when she was about three weeks old, we moved to Big Woods there in Abbeville, Louisiana. And we started the three months of like formation and prep before you go into the mission field. And, and we're studying. And and so to answer your question about the money at that point, I had bought like 30 grand worth of gold. I had bought like some stuff to put aside as like a just in case, like to protect our family. You had accumulated all this. Yeah. And I had my tools. Um, you know, when I met Veronica, I told her like, you'll never have to worry about me putting food on the table. Like I, I can walk, I can walk up and down the street with my toolbox Uh money, you know? Yeah. Um, so like I had, I had a, tr- literally had a trailer we could tow around, like I could work on cars and, um, we had a storage unit that had a bunch of the stuff from our house that we hadn't gotten rid of. And in the time of formation, you know, we're reading the Vatican II documents. We're reading, you know, um, John Paul II's encyclical mission of the Redeemer, Acts of the Apostles, just, and And as we're entering into prayer and learning more about prayer and how to truly discern, one day Veronica and I came out of prayer, and this was toward the end of our time, like when we were about to leave for Mexico, like we were going to Mexico uh, for our first mission post. And I came out and Veronica was like, dude, I think we need to get rid of the storage unit. 
And I was like, I think we need to get rid of the tools. And it, and that was like mind blowing to me. And it was, uh-huh. we both felt like the Lord was like, if there's a plan B, then plan A won't work. Ah, uh, yeah. And so we liquidated the gold. We got rid of all that, made sure we didn't have any debts. We didn't have any overhanging, uh-huh. nothing. We, we gave away almost everything in that storage unit, sold what we, you know, whatever. Um, and then I sold my tools and my trailer and all of that. Uh-huh. We put like Veronica's wedding dress, a couple boxes of pictures that we didn't have in digital form. Okay. And my Taekwondo uniforms, like in my dad's closet. Okay. Everything else we owned fit in our van with the eight of us. Wow. Our six kids and Veronica and I. Everything we owned fit in the van and we drove and moved to Mexico. Wow. <laughs> I had never, I like, we moved into this town where our mission group had been for a long time, like maybe 18 years at that point. And, um, you know, the town didn't even have a stoplight. Like we, we would go into these ranchos, these little adhitos out in the desert. Uh-huh. And um, there's about 50 of them. And when our mission group started going, some of them hadn't seen anyone from the Catholic church in like three years. Wow. Yeah. I, and over that 18 years, our missionaries have, have built a chapel on every one of those adhitos. So now we can go there and like, there's one priest in the town but he can't make it out. So we would go out and like do catechesis for the kids, you know, uh-huh. and for the adults, like, you know, very culturally, culturally Catholic, but not understanding yes. their faith or practicing in the true like, yes. teachings of the faith. Right. So praise God, we could, we could be his hands and feet and help the church, help the, the priest and do whatever we could do there. But yeah. So when we moved there, it was, it was radical because it was so fast. Like when we moved, th- we moved during the week when we got there. That Saturday, we went to the baseball field just to like meet some of the local kids and play. Uh-huh. And I started doing ministry that night. Like wow. a bunch of them came up to me and they like were like, you know, I, I, I've been doing Taekwondo. So I was pretty in shape and whatever. And they wanted me to teach them how to like get muscles and teach them weightlifting <laughs> and teach them all this stuff. And and uh, so I started like for the young, the young adult dudes, I started doing like weightlifting out of the mission house. And huh. then uh, I felt it on my heart um, to start a Taekwondo school for them. Okay. And I was like, look, this can't be from the Lord. Like, this is just me because I love Taekwondo. You uh-huh. know? And so I didn't do it. Like I, I kept pushing back and like mm-hmm. all these kids, all like, it was like obvious that, that, they needed this. They didn't have any organized sports in this town, uh-huh. you know? And, um, I fought back for like two or three weeks. And then I was, uh, I was, I say talking to, but I was asking John Bosco, St. John Bosco, uh, what he thought, because he really felt called to working with young men and uh-huh. he did a lot for young men. And, 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 and the reason I said young men is because, in Mexico, you go in there and like dudes will not even step into churches right now. Really? Like guys are just not going into churches. They're not going into mass. They're not like, and so it was obvious that I was called to work with these young men. Uh-huh. And so I asked John Bosco, like, look, please intercede for me. Please pray and ask our Lord if he wants this to be done, that is done. Uh-huh. And I made one phone call home and talked to a friend at the Taekwondo school and told him what I was thinking. Eight days later, I had 
everything donated to start a Taekwondo school. Wow. Everything to start a gym. Wow. My brother drove it down to the border. I drove up to the Mm -hmm. border and got it, came down. And it's more than some small Taekwondo schools even have to start. Like we had all the equipment we needed. We we found a place in Saltillo that we could get uniforms and we started doing Taekwondo lessons. You know, we weren't charging anything, of course. Like we're, we're doing it for the young kids and then doing like kickboxing for the adults. Uh-huh. And then the women wanted to wanted to be trained in something. So we started doing weightlifting classes for the women. And Gold's Gym of Houston donated two tons worth of weights. Wow. And so we literally started this gym that some woman in town uh, who had an extra space loved what we were doing. Because we were doing it out in the field at first. Uh-huh. And she gave us a space to use. And so we named it. Gymnasio de San Juan Bosco, which is Jim, uh, John Bosco's gym. Yes. And, uh, bro, that was in 2016. It's still there. Wow. That's when, awesome. When we felt called to leave, one of the guys who the Holy Spirit just rocked and had this rad conversion, started bringing his family to mass, loving his kids, quit uh-huh. drinking, quit. Like he, when we were leaving, came to us and said he felt called to being a missionary to his own people uh-huh. because at the gym, Three nights a week, we would stick around after training. Two nights, I would have like a prepared prayer, like some teaching about the church, and I would prepare it, pass it out to all of them in, in Spanish because I couldn't speak Spanish. Okay, so you were there, <laughs> but saying, you couldn't speak. And since ministry started so fast, I didn't have time to study Spanish. And okay. and my, my bride was fluent in Spanish, so uh-huh. it was like a major crutch. If we needed something, she would just... Yeah. She would speak, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, the Lord wants it done, man. Like he, I, it was, it was my turn to talk to this group. Uh, I don't know, man, maybe 40 dudes. And I really felt called to like, what I was going to talk about that night was about being a man. Like it was about, and so my wife was up there to translate for me uh-huh. and, uh, I started speaking and I just started speaking in Spanish. And I talked for like 20-something minutes. You're kidding me. No, bro. And I got done, and I looked back at my wife, and she had backed up to the back of the stage, you know? And I'm like, did you understand anything I said? Her eyes are like this big. <laughs> and she's like, every word. And like dudes were coming up to me, like crying, bloodshot eyes, hugging uh-huh. me. And I'm like, bro, that was the Holy Spirit. Like, I have no idea what I just said to you. Like, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and so those nights at the gym, when it was uh-huh. just us dudes— I would prepare these different things and Mm -hmm. I would fumble through trying to read it, but Mm -hmm. they would all have a copy. So they knew what I was saying. And same thing, multiple times afterwards, I would look up thinking I was done and I would just continue speaking. Uh And I would like make eye contact with somebody and they would just like start bloodshot eyes and like, and the Lord would just speak to them, man. And, and I would have no idea what I said. You know, wow. and I would tell them that I'd be like, bro, I have no idea what I just told you. That's between you and the Lord. Like you need to go back to that. Like wow. whatever he just told you, you need to sit with that, you know? Um, and it's just that like, w- for whatever reason, this is the way Jesus chose it to be. Like he said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now you go and make disciples of all nations. Like, why does he want to use us? I don't know, but, but that's what he, that's what he chose to do. You know, there's nothing there's nothing that anybody needs from me. Wow. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's nothing that we can benefit anybody. They just need Jesus and he needs uh-huh. his hands and feet. Like he chose to do it this way. So we get to just see miracles and our kids got to see this stuff. Yeah. You know, we're down there. When we moved into our house down there, our backyard was like dirt and cinder blocks. 
And in our house here in Kingwood, we had a Lego room, you know, a train <laughs> set. And, yeah. and we moved down there thinking like, oh my goodness. And they're out there and they make a restaurant with cinder blocks and the day of sticks that are uh-huh. like pizza. And the kids are having a blast. <laughs> the grace the Lord gave them and gives them, you know, is just phenomenal. And so praise God, they get to see the reality of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, not like in a story 2000 years ago, you know, they get to see the reality that like he is on fire, like he is rocking and he wants to be present and he just, he just needs us to say yes. I love how he used your talents, Taekwondo, weightlifting. He used that as a way for you to connect with the people. Yeah. That's awesome. And praise God, because that was what held me back because I didn't understand that at first. I kept saying, no, this must be me, my desire. Like, because I had, on that journey, from the time that uh, I read Rediscover Catholicism, started really getting into studying the saints and learning about the lives of the saints, I started to get into more and more fasting and more and more ways of prayer that were really beautiful. And that's what brought us to the consecration to Mary, mm-hmm. um, consecration to Jesus through Mary. And, and at that time in Mexico, I was fasting a lot in ways that like only the Lord was inviting me into. And, um, and so I thought that must be my desire to want to do Taekwondo or to want to do, and I need to like not do that. Like Uh I didn't understand that. Like, look, the Lord knew I was a Taekwondo dude Uh and he knew, and he called me to Mexico and he's going to use those gifts for that read for him, you know? Uh Exactly. And that's exactly what happened. You know, it started off with these dudes wanting to, learn weightlifting and kickboxing. Mm -hmm. And so you come to a kickboxing class with me, like you're vomiting, you know, (laughs) these guys are like (laughs) trashed. And so they quit smoking. I never told them to quit smoking. They quit smoking. Uh They quit drinking because you don't get off work. I mean, these dudes, hard working dudes, like they go out in the fields, they go out, whatever they're doing that day. It's manual labor. Yeah. And they crush it. And normally, unfortunately, a lot of them would would come home and just drink a lot and, Uh and, you know, treat their wives bad, ignore their kids. It was, it was, it, it's bad. Yeah. And uh, you can't do that. And then come to a kickboxing class at 10 o'clock. And I did the classes yeah. at 10 o'clock at night. And so these dudes quit smoking, they quit drinking. And once they started making decisions in their physical life, they were so much more open to making changes. I mean, changes in their physical life. They were so much more open to making changes in their spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't, I told them, I said, hey guys, these days, I'm going to stay after and do a teaching. If y'all want to hang out, everybody would hang out. I'd say uh, like a couple months into it, I said, okay, on this day, we can hang out and pray the rosary. Because the rosary is like, that's what women do, you know? And I'm like, we're going to hang out and pray the rosary. And they all stayed and they would lead different decades of the rosary. And uh, the Lord is just rocking and rolling, man. And and we thought we were going to be there for years, uh-huh. you know? Um. We were hosting mission trips. We hosted like seven mission trips that first year. So families can go on mission trips with family missions company. So like okay. we're the missionaries that live at the post. Okay. And then like if you and your family and your buddies want to go, you can bring all your kids and you guys can go on a one week or two week mission oh. trip. And you basically, you come and live with us uh-huh. and you just live right into our ministries with us. So nice. if we're out doing catechesis and preaching in the chapels, you come with us, uh-huh. you know? Um, and we have translators there and all that. And then um, when we go to the gym, you can come to the gym, you know, all that. Like you just live right in there with us. And it was 
it was phenomenal. And people would ask me all the time, like, man, like there's so much, how long are you guys going to be here? And we'd be like, I don't know, man, we're going to be here a long time, dude. Like there's uh-huh. so much happening. We were there a little over a year and it was just like, everything, everything was just happening. Like so uh-huh. much was happening. And um, I had to make this next part make sense, I guess, take a step back. Like with one of these ranchos we went to, it was like a one-time visit there. Like we were, I don't remember if it, we were covering for another family or what we were doing there, but we were only going to go there once. Um, normally we have a rancho that we pick or we're assigned okay. and we go there like every week. Okay. Well, this particular one, we just went there this one time and it was really bad. The, the dudes, the way the guys were with their families was just really bad. These dudes were drink like every dime they would make went to, went to alcohol. Okay. And it was just rocking me. I went home and I'm like, Lord, like, what can I do? You know, mm-hmm. like, I, I just, I mean, we're, we're moving in 10,000 different directions here. Like there's such a need. And, and, and I felt like the Lord was like, well, that's, that's a pretty comfortable bed that you have there. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, he's like, well, would you sleep on the floor for them? And so oh. I'm like, all right. And so I started sleeping on the tile floor every night, praying for these men. Uh-huh. And there was a couple other fasts like that, that the Lord was inviting me into. And uh, I was doing a lot. And then I felt like the Lord invited me, the Holy Spirit was inviting me to fast on bread and water for 40 days. Mm. And I was like, all right, this is getting a little ridiculous. Like, I'm just like this overzealous missionary guy, yeah, you know, yeah. like, oh yeah, I'm going to fast on bread and water and whatever. And so I didn't do it. I was like, no, like that's, okay. I'm getting a little overzealous. This is crazy. Uh huh. Well then like a week later, it comes back to me in prayer again. The Holy Spirit's like, let me show you because yeah, I trusted the Lord and I sold my house, sold all of our stuff. I moved my family to Mexico. I quit my job. But this is something that like I've been working out my whole life. I know how much protein I need. I know how much carbs I need. I know. Uh-huh. And at this time I'm, I'm teaching two Taekwondo classes women's weightlifting, men's kickboxing and weightlifting. Okay. And, and I know I got to be eating and drink, drinking pro, you know what I mean? Yeah, like I yeah. know what my body needs. Yeah. Well, it didn't go away. Like, like I, I think a few days later, a week later, I literally read where the Holy Spirit invited Jesus into the desert to uh-huh. fast for 40 days. And so I had met a priest who came down on a mission trip and I'd never had a spiritual director up to this point. Okay. And I had met this priest and we just connect. It's obvious, like the Lord put this dude in my life for a reason. Mm-hmm. Well, he was back stateside. He was just, he just came on like a one or two week trip. And so I contacted him. I'm like, hey, father, you know, um, would you be my spiritual director? And we chatted for a while, got to know each other. And he's like, yeah, great. So the next week or the next time I talked to him, I talked to him again and I gave him this whole scenario about the 40 days fasting thing. And uh-huh. I'm expecting him to be like, yeah, bro, like put on the brakes. Uh-huh. Well, he goes, Michael, don't you think for a second that the Holy Spirit's not asking you to do that? And I was like, what? And he's like, look, if the Lord asks someone to do something and they say yes, he's going to keep asking you and keep asking you and keep asking you until you say no. And he's like, if he's asking you to do this, you need to do it. And, and, it, and if it's not him, then you'll crash and burn and you'll be humbled and you'll realize like I was trying to be this overzealous missionary or whatever, uh-huh. you know, whatever, yeah. but he's trying to teach you something. Yeah. So I said, okay, I talked to my bride about it and, and I was doing some, like I said, some other 
fasting stuff that I had never considered before, but I was only sleeping like four and a half hours a night um, just because of the way our ministries were there. Yeah. From the moment that the sun came up until the sun went down, people were coming to our door. Um, we were always helping people in different ways financially or with work or whatever. Uh-huh. And, um, and so, but... So we had to wake up, like for our personal prayer, we had to wake up at like 4.30 in the morning. That way we could get our time with the Lord and our time with scripture in before the sun came up. And then I was doing that weightlifting and and the men's stuff starting at 10 o'clock at night. So I was usually getting home after midnight. So I was getting like four or four and a half hours of sleep, but I had all the energy in the world. I was fine. Uh So then this fast comes along and Veronica's like, dude, but I mean, she's like, if the Lord's asking you to do it, do it. You know, Uh it wasn't even a thing for her. So finally I said, okay, and I obeyed and I did it. And uh, during that 40 days, uh, the guys wanted to start running in the morning. So I also started running <laughs> in the mornings. Yeah. It's like, let's add some so more. We're, yeah, we're out running like six to eight kilometers in the mornings, you know? And, uh, and I had all the energy in the world. Wow. I was fine. So as this is going on, and I'm seeing that the Lord is showing me like, even beyond what I know I need. He's like, you really think, food is anything for me he's like i've shown you money is nothing for me uh, yeah. like you're you know like your safety your your children your family he's like you really think food like i can't handle that like, yeah <laughs> and he's and i and i and i know looking back why he brought me through that because when our mission director called us at the end of that first year and said well what are you guys going to do next year because they need to know where to send the new missionaries uh-huh we told them like we're going to stay here we're going to stay in Mexico. And he's like, all right, great. Shortly after that, I went outside to pray. Uh, we we had set times during the day that we, so we did our morning prayer, our individual morning prayer and everything in the morning. Then during the day, we had a lot of friends back home and a lot of things that we were praying for where Veronica and I would do separate time outside and pray. And we had this really beautiful statue of Mary and this awesome crucifix on the back porch. And I go walking out there to pray and I grab this Bible off the shelf and I always go everywhere, like I have right here, like my Bible bag. Everywhere uh-huh. I go, I bring this journal, this this Bible bag with these books, this Bible. Well, this day, I just grabbed this random, it's like a Bible in a year Bible. I've literally never even grabbed before. Uh-huh. I go outside with it. I sit down in the chair facing the crucifix, and I feel like I fall asleep and like wake up looking at the crucifix. And I feel like the Lord is like, you didn't ask me where I want your family to go, like where I want your family to be. Uh-huh. And I was like, well, Lord, I'm only here because you want us here. Like, what Like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, what if I want you to go to China and start a Taekwondo school? What if I want you to go where they've never heard my name? Wow. And I'm like, Lord, I'll go anywhere. Like, I'll do anything. Uh-huh. And then it's just like silent. And so I opened the Bible to the day, whatever date that was. And, you know, it was a Bible in the year, so it had a signed reading or whatever. So yeah. I opened to that day, and it was like Isaiah 50, 54, something like that. And it's like, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And your ways are not my wow. ways. My ways are so far beyond your ways. It's like the heavens above the earth, uh-huh. you know? And I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, like this doesn't make any sense. So I finish my prayer. I go inside and I'm like, hey, babe, uh, this is probably nothing. But, <laughs> and I tell her, I tell her what happened. And she's like, dude, you better call Joseph. Like he was our mission director. Uh huh. And uh, so I call him and I tell him and he's like, well, bro, did you guys do a discernment retreat? before you decided to stay there. And I was like, well, no, we, I've never done a discernment retreat. Like we, I didn't see any reason why we would leave. I didn't feel the Lord asking us to leave. So I assumed uh-huh. we should be here. He goes, well, look, go 
do a three day discernment retreat and ask the Lord where he wants you to be. Okay. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to give the Lord three days, like answer my question. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I've never done anything like that before. I'm like a three day discernment retreat. You have with to my stop whole family, everything like, that you're doing for three oh, yeah, days. Yeah. And yeah, exactly. So we look at our schedule. We look at, you know, the upcoming things we had. Cause like I said, we were preparing people for sacraments and we're doing these different things. We found a weekend that worked. And we found a, a church that had 24-hour perpetual adoration. Huh. We're like, all right, we'll go, we'll stay by that church, we'll do family prayer in the morning, and then we'll split up. You go sit in front of Jesus as long as you feel like you need to be there. I'll be with the kids, come back, and we'll switch. We'll do that for three days. Uh-huh. So we do it. It turns out that was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That Saturday was the end of my 40-day fast. Oh, we didn't plan this, bro. Wow. And it's like for the Lord to bring me to this level of trust and obedience in him for what he was about to ask us to do. Uh-huh. Because on Friday, we both went into prayer and came back that night and discussed it. And we both felt like we weren't going back to Mexico. Uh-huh. We felt like it didn't matter. The Lord was like, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. There's work to be done. Yeah. And we're like, okay. Then the next day, we felt like he wanted us to go where they'd never heard his name. And we're like, all right, what does that mean? So we contact Joseph. We tell him, because we didn't want to know beforehand any choices of mission posts. Okay. We didn't want anything like, ooh, Costa Rica sounds good. You know, like we didn't, <laughs> we didn't want anything like clouding our mind, right? Yeah. Do we go to the beach or do we go to the yeah, exactly, you know, skiing, you know? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so when we told him on Saturday, he, he sent us the list. Uh-huh. And on the top of the list was Taiwan. And then there were all the other countries and... And we had no idea where Taiwan was, um, but it was like standing out to us. All the other countries sounded awesome uh-huh. for different reasons. It just sounded like we would love it. Uh-huh. But something about Taiwan was standing out. And so we call him back and he goes, dude, you have to see this. And he sends us an email. Some missionaries from our mission group had gone over to Taiwan, these singles, a couple, couple guys, a couple girls to live on a college campus to do like their youth ministry. Okay. One of the girls had sent an email that said, dude, we literally meet people here every single day who have never heard of Jesus. Wow. We need more missionaries. <laughs> she said, send a family, send all wow. of intake. This is the email. Wow. Having no idea we're on discernment, having no yeah. idea what's going yeah. on. So we read the email, we look at each other and we're like, we're going to Taiwan. Yeah. So the next day we just go to prayer with that. And we both come back from prayer like, all right, we're going to Taiwan. Let's find out where this is. Like, what is Taiwan? Like, what? <laughs> where Let's is Google place? Taiwan yeah. now, right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and, and the fact that the reason I brought up that 40-day fast was because there was no question on, like, how are we going to do it? Yeah. Because how am I going to fast on bread and water for 40 days when working out for, like, four hours a day? Like, I'm not. Yeah. The Lord is going to do it. And it's like, this is scripture coming alive. Like where I'm weak, you're strong, you know, like yeah. you abide in me, I, like all this stuff. And so. And the Lord had to show off too, because he added the jogging on top of that <laughs> yeah, too, exactly. right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And so, so we started making steps to move to Taiwan and, uh, and that's just amazing in itself because we didn't have the money to fly over there. Uh-huh. We didn't know where we were going to live. I went over there first with Joseph, our mission director, to go and talk to some bishops because we only go where the bishops welcome us, unless it's a country that 
you really have to be underground and you don't want anybody to know you're there. But uh-huh. normally our mission group, we just go where the bishops welcome us and where we're needed, right? So we talk to some bishops um, and then Joseph flies back and I stay there for a couple of days just kind of walking around where the bishops had welcomed us and, and praying and seeing kind of what felt like home. There was this one area in the countryside that really felt like home. It really felt peaceful. Like maybe like this is where the Lord's calling us. So I go back up to Taipei to fly out and I stop at a Catholic church on the way out of town, on the way out of country. And I'm sharing testimony and there's somebody there translating for me. And I finish up my testimony and say, yeah, so my family and I, we're going to move to Jai. That's the name of the city down there. And this girl in the crowd, like, she's like, I have a house in Jai. You can stay there. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? You have a house in Jai. <laughs> like, That's crazy. And, and The Lord provides. And, dude, and yeah, and she's speaking in Mandarin and it's being translated to me. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'll catch up with you later. You know, I'm flying back to America <laughs> now. Like, uh-huh. And that was all that I knew about the possibility of living somewhere. You know what I mean? Wow. Like there was no more contact with her. Um, that was in February. Our our seventh baby was born um, in April. And then we start making the necessary arrangements to move to Taiwan. And I, I was able to do all the legwork to get visas, to get missionary visas. Uh-huh. Otherwise, you have to leave the country like every three months. Uh, and yeah. for our single missionaries, that's not really a big deal because, you know, it costs you a hundred something bucks. You can just. Yeah. Leave and come back. Fly over yeah. to Hong Kong and back or something. Yeah. Then your visa is renewed. Well, for a family of nine at the time, that's <laughs> yeah. a pretty expensive venture. Yeah. So praise God, we were able to line everything up to get visas where we could get there and stay there. And so when we went to the visa office, it was much more expensive than I had calculated. Uh-huh. And I had to give them a two-week window of when we were leaving because the visa was only good for two weeks. Because oh, wow. once we get there, we get like a resident card. Yeah. So I had to give them a date that we were moving, but I didn't have plane tickets yet. And we didn't oh, have the wow. money for plane tickets. Wow. So I gave them the date um, and then went back home. Bernadette was born. We went to get her passport because we could do it in a day in New Orleans. You could go and get the passport in the same day if it was an emergency and you had like a visa showing you were leaving on a certain date. So we did that. We came back and we got back to Big Woods and Abbeville and we had an anonymous donation and it was a pretty big donation and we have no idea who it was from. And I'm like, dude, let's check out plane tickets. So we looked at plane tickets. We bought our plane tickets and had $76 left over. <laughs> That's crazy. I still to this day have no idea who gave us that money. And uh, so we had the way that we live is by monthly donations. Like we, you know, we beg for money. We ask friends and family here in the States to provide for us monthly, to donate to us monthly. And it all adds up. And that's how we support ourselves in the mission field. So like in Mexico, we were living off $900 a month at first. Uh-huh. You know, when our ministries were really rocking and we were doing a lot through our ministries, it, uh, it was a little bit more than that. But moving to Taiwan, we we didn't know how much it was going to cost us to live a month. No family in our mission group had ever lived there. We were kind of wow. like breaking the ground for yeah. our, our mission group there. And so yeah. we moved there with like 76 bucks and monthly a monthly stipend that was coming, you know? Yeah. And um, 
we got there. <laughs> we got dropped off on the side of the road with seven kids and 13 pieces of luggage uh-huh. <laughs> on like just J- uh, July 18th. <laughs> it was like so hot. We didn't know where we were going to live. <laughs> oh we had gosh. one week of a place to stay in like the dude's house because uh, they were doing a, a mission trip for Focus missionaries. Okay. And so we could stay in these college guys' house for like a week until we figured out where our house was going to be. So you had no idea. We hadn't been able to get a hold of the woman. Like, oh like. my god! <laughs> so you go there with the kids, and you have no idea what the long term plan is. No idea. Wow. But we know the long term plan is that God wanted us there. Yeah. Wow. God is so good, bro. Like, if He wants it done, it'll be done. So. The way we ended up finding it all, it all out was like right before we left America, a guy who was Taiwanese, he grew up in, he was born in Taiwan, grew up in Taiwan, moved to America, worked for about 30 years in America, retired, went back to Taiwan, and he wanted to like evangelize in his hometown. Okay. And then he heard about us coming. He waited at the airport for us, like slept there. <laughs> so when we arrived wow. at the airport, he was there. So when we got dropped off on the side of the road, he was like calling friends, got us a taxi. Wow. Like, I mean, this dude was just a gift from God. And he got us all set up. Him and his friends got our kids. So our kids have never been to public school until uh-huh. then because we all needed to learn Mandarin, but none of us spoke Mandarin. It wasn't like in Mexico where Veronica spoke yeah. Spanish and then the kids picked it up yeah. like that. So they got our kids enrolled in school. The school was phenomenal. It was the summer, but they let our kids come two hours every morning to do language lessons with them. And um, Veronica started at the college doing uh, language lessons, and then I stayed home with the baby and was doing them online. And so the whole we lived there for three years, and the whole time we lived there, we were studying nonstop. And like my my Mandarin's like much better than my. Spanish. <laughs> it's still not great, but like I can get around town and stuff, you know. So you said you were there for three years? Right. Yeah, we were there um, from 2017 till 2020. And we felt like the Lord was calling us back to the States. Okay. Um, there was so much that was going on there as well. We had lived in two different towns. Um, we were teaching Taekwondo in the public schools and the orphanages. Um and of course, do your mission work. Oh yeah, I mean, we were we were working with the. There was a certain priest there that we had hooked up with for a while, and we restored a church, an, an old convent that hadn't nice. been used for five years. Wow! Some focus trips came. The focus missionaries had come on mission trips, and we restored that place, and it became the divine, the center of divine mercy for Taiwan. Wow! Yeah, I mean, just phenomenal. That's and, awesome. Um, the Lord was doing a lot, and. And we had gotten to a point that we felt like the best evangelization was being done just through the friendships that we were making with people like at the park and uh-huh. invite people over for dinner and just living our lives, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, the witness of our family. You know, we had another baby while we were living there. Uh-huh. We had our eighth baby there in Taiwan. And just the witness of our family was blowing people's minds because most of them had never seen a family with seven and then eight kids, you know, and just the love that we had, that like seeing Jesus work through us was really rocking people's brains. And that's what was leading people. And so we were going to come back to the States for our first time. That was our first time to leave the country, for the, to leave Taiwan as uh-huh. a family. And we were going to come back to the States 
and then change our visas to working visas from missionary visas. And then, then I was going to get a job in Taiwan. Okay. And while we were discerning that on how that would look on how that would work, we felt like the Lord was calling us back to the States. To stay. To stay. Okay. And like not out of missions, not out of missionary work, but just like back to the States. And so we're like, okay, this summer we'll go back. And then it got moved up to like June because my niece was going to get married in June. And then my nephew was going to get married in May. So we're like, all right, we'll come back in May. And then everything started locking down uh, because of COVID. Oh, yes. And uh, President Trump was talking about starting his COVID task force. And they were in Taiwan, they were already doing where they would, where they would lock you down for 14 days if you were exposed or whatever. Uh-huh. And we had just had a baby and we were like, look, we need to get back. Mm-hmm. And so we moved everything up to March and we got home. And we're able to go to mass in the States like for six days until they close all the churches and everything locked down. So the Lord brought us back like a perfect timing for our family. And, and it was incredible because when we left the LGBT thing was kind of like a club in high schools or whatever. We left Uh in 2015 and then we come back and it was like nuts how much it spread. It spread like Uh just, and so everything was locked down, but we, the way we came back into the country, we were very like, look, we need to be living our lives. Like, I don't know. I, I came back and just started doing mobile automotive work for people. Uh-huh. And we just opened our house to young adults and said, look, we're going to do a Bible study on Wednesday nights. If anybody wants to come, come on. And dude, it was like full living room every Wednesday. You know, no one could go to school. No one could go to work. No one, but they could come to our house and we would... Uh-huh. We were praying together. We were reading scripture, and it, I knew right away John Paul II's love and responsibility is something we really started to delve into with these college kids because they were getting ready to, you know, through the summer we were doing this, and they were going to be going back to school, and all this stuff about like introducing your pronouns. I mean, there was just so much being thrown onto them and the human sexuality side of things, so many lies and just just evil that. They're just getting rocked with it. So the fact that we had this time to like be rooted in truth before they had to go back out to campuses was just beautiful. Where was, was this? This was at our house in Kingwood. Kingwood, okay. Yeah. And so we were able to hook up and start doing Bible study for our parish again. And we started some ministries. I reopened an automotive shop. And um, I was, I, so we stopped accepting donations once we came back to the States because mm-hmm. I was like, I can make money, you mm-hmm. know, to working on cars and, but this time we were not opening the shop till 9.30 so we could go to daily mass okay. every day. Like, Because we learned, man, like it doesn't matter where we are in the world. Um, doesn't matter how busy our lives are, whatever. Mm-hmm. I need an hour every single day with the Lord, no matter what. Uh-huh. Like that's non-negotiable. I need time in scripture every day. We need time as a family every day. Uh-huh. And we need at least one meal together every day. Uh-huh. At least. Normally we can do two. And when we know that these are the non-negotiables of what we need to flourish then the rest of our life we just had to fit in around it. Yes. So I was running a business. We were making enough money to live. But it tells you, like, what do you say no to? Like, what kids' extracurricular activities? How do we live as a family? What do we... Yeah. We don't want to be passing each other in the evenings. And yeah. this kid's going here. This kid's going there. I'm driving him there. I'm driving... No, we want to sit down around the table. Yeah. And we want to talk about what the Lord's doing in our yeah. lives. And we want to... Like, we bust out the summa during conversations at the table. And we got, we got the Bible there, you know, like, just... Uh-huh. Or we're just all sitting around laughing, having a blast, but we're together and that's the true formation, you know? And um, 
so we're opening the business at 9.30 after mass or after family prayer. We all have our holy hour in the morning. Home, I closed the shop at 6. And then we were doing ministry at nights or on the weekends, whatever um, mm-hmm. we had time for. And uh, that was going beautiful. We had another baby. And then when we came back, all of our leases, everything that we did was on like a two-year lease. Okay. Like our cell phones, our house that we rented, the yeah. shop I rented. And we tried to get longer leases, but everything was on a two-year lease. Okay. And we're like, all right, Lord, like <laughs> <laughs> we're leaving in two years. I don't know. So during that two years, our mission group started approaching us about um, um, our first like big domestic outreach because we're a foreign mission group. Okay. And they had acquired a youth camp. And had been restoring it since the end of 2019, refurbishing it. And now it is like the only full-scale Catholic retreat center in the Diocese of Lafayette. Mm. And so we have this rock and retreat center and uh-huh. we need a family to live there and to run, like, you know, maintain the facilities yeah, yeah. and just be a prayerful presence to create this amazing place for people to come and encounter the Lord. Uh-huh. And so... If you would have asked me since my conversion, and people did this all the time, jokingly or whatever, like, hey, if you won the lottery, what would you do? But well, I would always say the same thing. Like, I would buy a bunch of land and start a retreat center. Like, uh-huh. Because I know what the <laughs> Lord had done to me. Like, yeah. And you got to get away from the distractions, you know? Like, Satan doesn't have to lie to us and fill our heads with a bunch of lies. He just has to distract us from hearing the truth. Mm-hmm. He just has to distract us from the greater good, right? And so sometimes just getting away for a weekend or a week can allow you to hear the Lord in that way. And I've all, and so our mission group was approaching us about it. And the first time they came to us, it wasn't the right timing. You know, we were already committed to things here. We were doing Bible studies here. We were about to have our baby and we were in these two-year leases. But then they came back to us again around the time that we were thinking about what we were going to be doing next. Uh-huh. And Joseph was like, you know, before I was like, I was flirting with you a little bit, but now I'm asking you out on a date. <laughs> He's like, will you guys come here and run the retreat center? And we prayed about it. We went out there to the chapel and sat with Jesus in the chapel and, and was like, yeah, this is, this that's is it. home. Yeah. And that's where you're all are headed and now. And so, yeah, so we were, we were going to move in May. Uh, we went back full time with our mission group and started fundraising again on February 1st. Uh-huh. And so on February 1st, when we were going to sign the paperwork and become full-time missionaries again, meaning like, I'm not just going to, like, I'm going to start, we're going to start getting our fundraising going. I got diagnosed with cancer. Oh. And so um, it was just amazing the way the Lord worked that we were going to move in May, Uh but because of my cancer treatments and because of chemotherapy, we had to push it back until November, until now. And it was just, it's just beautiful once again, as he's bringing us in to this new role, uh, he really taught me how to unite with him in a new way that I had never experienced before being outside of being that sick. You know, I had mm. stage three colon cancer and like I had to have the surgery, had to, you know, be cut open, have a section of my intestines cut open. And like the way we found out was just so fast, you know, such a surprise. Veronica and I went straight to the chapel when we found out and we left the chapel in just complete peace. We just knew the Lord was like, look, I'm, I'm going, we're going through this together. Like I'm holding your hand through this. There was no prayer for like some miraculous healing or Uh for this to go away. It was like the Lord's bringing us through this and, and through it, um, there's tons of details and teachings and beauty, but like the bottom line is I was able to unite with him and hear him in ways 
to see the power of being united with him in prayer mm-hmm. and being united with him in a way that he wants to be united with us all the time to really get the disposition of like, not what are all the awesome things we can do through the retreat center, but like, Lord, this is your place. And like, what do you want to do through this? And just that different mentality of like sitting there, seeing what needed to be done and the problems that are going on around us, anything from human sexuality stuff to government stuff to anything. And the Lord just being like, you need more of this as I'm in adoration with him. And he's like, you need more of this. And he's just inviting me into this deeper type of union and prayer with him to see that like when we're united with him, we don't have to look at what am I going to do? What do I need to do? How am I going to solve this problem? He's like, you be yoked to me. All these things are going to come to you. Mm. And when you're yoked with me, then I can deal with them through you as I please. And it's this beautiful union with him that he says we can be united all the time. As Paul tells us to pray always, right? So are you like cancer free now or what? what the- um, there's no, there's no reason to think like, I, so I just got the results like last week or the week before on Friday uh-huh. um, from the follow-up PET scan and the DNA test. And there's no signs of any new tumors. And Oh, wow. Yeah. Praise wow. God. You know, um, it's, it was, yeah, it was radical and fast and crazy and like crazy suffering, crazy suffering for, for our family. But it was so beautiful. Like, I, I just got to share with you, man. Like, <clears throat> I've I've taught about redemptive suffering before. I've, you know, uh-huh. oh, offer it up, you know, yeah. offer it up for whatever. And yeah. I've read what John Paul II had to say about it when he got elected Pope. And it's just this beautiful idea of, and so after my first round of chemo, like leading up to this, leading up to chemo, I had to have surgery because the tumor was completely blocking my intestines. Like there's just like a oh, pinhole. Wow. Wow. That's how I found out about it. It was so much pain. And wow. for like eight months, I couldn't get into the doctor. It was a whole, I'd be like oh, working wow. on cars and I would just Ow. fall over in yeah. pain. And uh, when I found out what it was, I walked out of the doctor's office and he had recommended a certain surgeon. And like that surgeon I've known for like 20 years. Like oh. his, his kids got their black belts through us. Oh. And like, dude, so I called him and he heard what I had to say. He was like, come to my office right now. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Just come to my office. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like 10 minutes later, I'm in his office. Six days later, I'm having surgery. Wow. And like, so he got the tumor out, reattached my intent, like all that. And then when I started chemo, oh, what, what I was saying was leading up into that, we had gone because the next day we were supposed to be going to Big Woods to do our paperwork for the mission group. So we went anyway, and we went in the chapel there and all of our missionaries were praying over us and stuff. And like Brooke, Joseph's wife had said, you know, she was in tears and just like, Lord, why? Like, and she felt like the Lord was like, oh, look, I know what I'm doing. Uh huh. You know? And, uh, that when we went and sat in the chapel there at Stillwater at the retreat center, the next two nights, I was just sitting there in prayer with the Lord and just had this beautiful peace of that. Like we were, he was, we were holding hands united through this. And so about six or eight weeks later, we started chemo and uh, I had to do six months of chemo. And after the first round of 12, the first round of chemo, I was like, dude, I don't know if I can do this 11 more times wow. like this. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a big goal setter and like persevere. And no matter what I thought I was going to do when that uh-huh. chemo hit me, it was not, I wasn't doing anything. It just floored me. Like, it was brutal. And uh, I'm sitting in adoration, and I'm looking at the crucifix, and I'm like, Lord, your suffering was redemptive because 
you were perfect. Uh-huh. You, you were undoing what Adam did. You uh-huh. are sinless. You are blameless. I was like, how can I join my suffering to yours when I am a sinner? I'm uh-huh. not perfect, you know? And I just felt like he started pouring this love into me and I was just writing it down and I've reflected on it multiple times since then where he was like, no, 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 no. Like I'm doing this. I did this on the cross so that I can unite with you in your suffering and show you how to do it well and to be with Mm. you. And so I'm praying with that and praying with that for weeks. It's about how much he loves us, you know, and that every single thing we can go through in life, he has experienced himself so we can be yoked with him through it. Well, on like my fourth or fifth round of chemo, I get COVID oh. while on chemo. Oh, and bro, I'm telling you, just I go, another I go, dude. I go into this oh. night and I'm walking out to the living room because I'm going to sleep on the floor. I don't want to be around my bride. You know, I'm like super sick, and I'm like, Lord, please be with me tonight. <clears throat> and I feel like He was like laughing, <laughs> and He was like, "You be with me. Like, I'm always here. <laughs> like you be with me tonight." Yeah, and so. I couldn't sleep more than 20 or 30 minutes at a time. I was waking up. I was freezing cold or I was sweating. I was taking clothes off, putting Uh them on. I was throwing up. Uh Physically, one of the worst nights that that I know. Uh But every time I woke up, I was just praying, like Mm -hmm. being flooded with intentions. Next to my bed, I had written down a bunch of intentions on a dry erase board. So when I was going through chemo, I could just pray these intentions, all these intentions and all these prayers for the church, for the government, for people, for friends, for all this stuff were coming to mind. And it was one of the most peaceful nights of my life. Like wow. physically, it was, it was one of the worst, it was the terrible. It was uh-huh. the worst night I can remember. Wow. But in the morning when I was done, I was like, that was incredible. And I felt like the Lord was like, and that's how you do it. there's no magic when you're suffering you pray like that's it you just do it Uh uh-huh and since then i can't even stub my toe without being in prayer like the second something bad happens Mm -hmm. intentions just start coming and i start praying and i feel like the lord is like like i'm united with the lord in this way that it's so powerful and then and then weeks later I'm sitting in adoration and in morning prayer, I'm reading scripture and I'm reading all these stories about how the Lord healed this guy. The Lord rose this guy from the dead. He cast these people, cast these demons out. And the Lord's like, look, I did all these amazing things even when I wasn't suffering. He's like, you can be united with me in that way all the time. Uh huh. It's not just when you're suffering. Like I want to be united with you all the time. Mm-hmm. I want to work through you all the time. Yeah. And it's that invitation to like, continue to dig and purify and get distractions out of my life and to get, you know, I'm not on social media or I have apps on my phone, but like even like, not even like looking at something on YouTube, like like just to stay in this union with him and in this prayer with him where when my, when my kid does something and I turn instead of responding with any type of impatience, just responding with even just that look of love and that patience and that understanding and that, that power that he brings to be invited to do things for him and for the church. And like I said, like just being ready, you know, not having to look at what am I going to do to combat this or combat this or fight this evil? It's like, he's like, no, just, just stay united, like radically united with me with a disposition of ready and things will come to you. (laughs) You don't have to go out and look for it. Yeah. They will come to you and you'll be ready because it'll be me. So if somebody wants to donate, 
where do they reach out to you know if they want to donate to you to, um, to your group well we have a link for our family and uh they can it's super easy they click on it they can either donate monthly givers uh-huh like to support our family because when we're in missions you know we're working around the clock full time and and we don't ever ask like let's say like when we're in taiwan or when we're whatever uh-huh. we don't we don't get money from the areas that we work we raise money from here mm-hmm. so yeah i mean so how do they find your the, the link to your families um I mean, it's it's on the Family Mission Company website. If okay. you go to Family Missions Company, okay, um, you can go under missionaries, find Michael and Veronica Henderson, and uh-huh. then click on that. And then there's a link also that you can just click on. Like, and then if anyone wants to, you know, consider joining, they just go to that website oh, too. Oh yeah. Oh and yeah. Then the, and then the like you did. Yeah, man. That's the first thing is like the the harvest is plentiful, man. We need like we need <laughs> laborers. You know, Lord, send us more laborers. Like we. We always need more missionaries, you know? And if the Lord's got it on your heart to chase them, like he may be asking you, and even if not full-time, like maybe he's just calling you to come and go on a mission trip, you mm, know? And Because yeah. I had never been on a mission trip before. And, and like, how long are these mission trips? They're, they have one week or two week, I think, depending on where okay. in the world you're going. Normally, if you're going like on the other side of the world, it's uh-huh. a longer, it's like two weeks. So if somebody yeah. wants just a taste of it, they can go on a mission trip for a week or two. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, we get a lot of the vocations to uh, missions through... Our, our one-week mission trips, they realize, like, this is where the Lord wants me. Like, this That's is awesome. It, you know? I yeah. wish we could sit down with you a lot longer. I know. Our, our time is... <laughs> too. Is, but, um, you know, maybe the next time you're you're back here in Houston. Yeah. I mean, we're coming back all the time. Um, all of our families here. It's hard to leave. You know, the Lord, he's leading us. But all of our families here, Veronica's family's here, my family's here. Like, but our kids, you know, all their cousins. I've got... 31 kids in our family, so. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Maybe uh, we'll see uh, some priests or sisters Oh, yeah. My, up. Dude, I hope my oldest son, he feels called to the priesthood. That's he awesome. wants to be a missionary priest. He plans on going through Steubenville, and then uh, my daughter's always open to the religious life, my oldest daughter. Uh-huh. And uh, my next son has been talking about it a lot lately, and it's just same advice I give him, man. I'm like, look. Just, just focus on that relationship with the Lord. Like mm-hmm. you stay in union with the Lord. Your, your career, you know, the Lord's going to use you as He wants to. And if that means the religious life, praise God, man, that's awesome. But thank but, you, yeah. thank you thank so you much for, for everything that you, awesome. you know, for all the work that you've done, and for, for living the life. Yeah, praise thank God, you so man. much. Good. Thanks, bro.